Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. My guest today is producer and comedian Mike Ellis. Mike runs Artisan Entertainment out of Flat Rock, North Carolina, and he is the first guy to ever really give me a chance on stage. He's the first person to book me for not a paid gig, but for a feature spot. He gave me uh, two feature spots one weekend opening for the hilarious Sid Davis in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And I was only, I was, I was less than a year in and obviously uh, thought I was better than I was, but I did okay. I did pretty well in those sets. I was very proud of those sets for a while. Although looking back, I really don't like my outfit. I wore a sport coat for the first time and it was too big for me because I bought it when I was younger and broader and stronger and it, I had shrunk and the jacket had not shrunk with me. And then for the second set, my shirt collar had come out, and so that looks terrible, and that was the night I had photos taken. So aside from my outfit, I feel like the comedy was pretty good. On the second night, I did a lot of really fun crowd work. It was the first time I did crowd work because I just cut loose. I don't know. I felt comfortable the second night. The first night, it's always hard doing comedy for the first time in a place. You feel a little uneasy. You kind of have to get used to the room and the vibe and the feeling. And of course, it was my first time featuring. I was very nervous and I wanted to make a good impression, and I had a lot of friends in the audience. I was very fortunate. I've been fortunate throughout my comedy career in that my friends and my family have come out to support me and come to all these shows, but really the fact that I invited people to come see me do these shows in the beginning, in hindsight, uh, was a pretty risky idea because I wasn't very good yet, but I wasn't terrible, and my friends in the audience helped me make it seem like I was (laughs) doing better. Uh, But on the second night of these shows, I started talking about being Jewish and then somebody clapped and it was like only one person clapped. It was a really funny crowd work evening and I ended up doing like eight minutes of crowd work for the first time ever and it went really well and I was like, okay, I guess crowd work is something I should do more of. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. I should be talking to you about my guest, Mike Ellis, who's the guy who put me on that show and Mike's a really good dude and uh, we had a, a pretty significant falling out at one point and it was my fault, 100%. But I, you know, in my arrogance, I didn't really understand that it was my fault. And so it took me a while to reach out to him and make amends. And he was resistant at first, but I won him over by uh, actually by by using what I've learned about nonviolent communication, which has to do with really just taking responsibility for your actions, not putting anything on the other person and just owning your side of it. And I did that. And I very sincerely wrote to him. I wrote to him once and apologized and, and that one didn't take. But about five days later, I wrote back and, and I just let him know how, how unhappy it made me to know that anything I'd said or done had, had hurt his feelings the way he explained that it did. And as much as he wanted to stay mad at me, he just, I don't know if he couldn't or he didn't, but he made a decision to be forgiving and since then we've really rebuilt our friendship and I feel like we're good friends now. I feel like we're actually better friends now than we were before all that happened and that happens with friendships. If you communicate with someone, if you open up the lines, if you're willing to be vulnerable, you actually can build a deeper and better friendship but boy is the process ugly sometimes. So uh, thank you Mike for um, keeping your heart open to me. I really mean that. And thank you for all the incredible opportunities you've given me both before that incident and since then. And thanks for being a part of my shows the way you have. I look forward to having you on 2020's Not Quite Kosher Comedy Show for your uh, reprise performance. And we'll see what you do. And hopefully you'll sell those incredibly hilarious T-shirts. Mike has this really funny T-shirt 
called You Might Be a Jewish Redneck If. And I'm only going to ruin one of the jokes for you because it's my favorite. He's got a whole list of things that, you know, kind of a takeoff on Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck If, but this is You Might Be a Jewish Redneck If. And my favorite one is he said, you might be a Jewish redneck if your mother won't let you marry your sister because nobody's good enough for her little boy. Now, if you're not Jewish, you may not understand how absolutely perfect that joke is, but Jewish mothers just think their children walk on water, and historically, only one of them has. The rest of us are mere mortals. So for him to write this joke is so hilarious and uh, anyway, it just mixes Southern culture with Jewish culture in, in the most perfect way. But the other ones are actually really funny, too. I remember the first time he told me these, uh, you might be a Jewish redneck if list, I was at a party of his and everybody was laughing hysterically at all of them. And I'll be honest, I didn't think they were all that funny. I really just liked the one. But now that I have the T-shirt, because he's made these great T-shirts, which we will make available for sale uh, in case you want one. Now that he created this great t-shirt, I read them all and actually they are all really funny. So he's a really funny guy. He's a really good guy. He's a really generous guy and he's a really caring guy and he's really loyal and he's forgiving. <laughs> thank goodness. And he's been through some shit and he talks about it. He talks about it pretty openly. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I hope you will take the time to see one of Mike's shows at some point. I hope you'll take the time to come see our not quite kosher comedy show in Asheville in December. 2020. I forget the exact date. I think it's like the 13th or the 16th, something like that. Maybe it's the 17th or maybe it's the, it's either the 13th or the 17th. I'm guessing it's a Sunday. And because it's leap year, I think it's two days off from last year. Last year it was on the 15th. My father's birthday is on the 14th. So it's not going to be on his birthday, but we will uh, say Kiddish in his honor. Although he's still alive. So I guess that's bad form. I think you say Kiddish when somebody's dead. I don't know. I'm a terrible Jew. I'm not as bad as Mike, but I'm right up there. I'm like the second worst Jew in North Carolina. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to support the podcast, go to learningtofail.com, click the donate button, and just uh, let your PayPal run amok. You know, let it just drain your bank account. Your kids don't need to go to college as badly as my child does, okay? So just whatever money you were going to spend on your child going to college, just put it in the learning to fail account. I promise I will give some of it to my daughter's college fund. I can't say I'm going to give all of it because, you know, I have needs to. I have this very expensive guitar habit that I have to support, but I am giving my daughter guitar lessons. So part of supporting my guitar habit does go to support her. And if she doesn't make it in college, maybe she'll make it as a killer guitar player. She's getting really good. And I love playing with her, and I just wish that she would actually play a song with me. But she refuses because she says it messes her up when I try to solo. And in fairness, I'm not very good at it. But I love playing guitar with my daughter. And I, one day I'm going to interview her so you can hear her because she says the most hilarious things. And throughout her life, she said hysterical things. I have a whole series on my Facebook called Sula Said. And if we're friends on Facebook, you can read it. If we're not friends on Facebook, then you're just going to have to take my word for it. My daughter is amazing, and she's almost as amazing as my guest today, Mike Ellis. Wait, let me rephrase that. My daughter's more amazing than Mike Ellis, but she wasn't available today. No offense, Mike. I just can't say on the radio, on my podcast, whatever this is, I can't go telling people that you're more amazing than my daughter, okay? She won't get over it. You will. Maybe you're mad at me all over again. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many nonviolent communication letters I can send you, but I'll do whatever I have to do to stay your friend. All right. Please enjoy my interview with the great, funny, sincere Mountain Jew himself, 
Mike Ellis. I'm sorry, I'm still distracted by the bagel you're eating. Oh, well... <laughs> for, for those that follow me or Jason on Facebook, he is eating a cinnamon raisin bagel with lox and cream cheese spread, which is the oddest mix ever. I mean, it's the most delicious mix ever. If by odd you mean delicious, then I agree with you. All right. Okay. You don't like sweet and savory stuff? I, I Well, it's, it's odd because, well, I just got crap about this, about the pizza, because my favorite pizza is banana pepper and pineapple. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Which is that sweet and savory and, and whatever. spicy, yeah. What about chicken? Do you put chicken on there, too, or you don't no. like chicken and pineapple? No. Okay, no chicken on pizza. Are you no. a not chicken on pizza I don't, person? And, and I'm not vegetarian or vegan by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't like meat on pizza. No meat. No, and it's weird because I don't like vegetables, but yet I'll eat <laughs> banana peppers and pineapple. I don't know. I just... By, I mean, pineapple's a fruit. Banana peppers yes. are a pepper. So, yeah. It's, it's, like, not, it's not a right. vegetable. It's not like it's... Okay. You're not going to eat a banana pepper salad. True. Right? Like, I don't eat broccoli and that kind of stuff. I wouldn't put that on pizza ever. Do you eat that at all? No. I think broccoli is the most disgusting. Thing so, you don't it. put any greens in your body? No. Well, yeah, I eat salad. Does that count? It counts, yeah. I mean, okay. is it iceberg salad? lettuce or is it some kind of good lettuce? Um, I, I, I don't like kale and that crazy stuff but i do romaine and, and oh romaine okay and anything that gets called yeah. off the shelves every now and then for a recall you'll eat that yeah yeah i like the recall stuff is it, in fact is it part I, of your I diet? especially eat it during the recall stuff <laughs> yeah, i like, figure you know that's the best time you it's know? the best time to lose weight i mean it's like i'm gonna have some and, recalled romaine lettuce or some spinach and fucking yeah get, and you yeah. get a deal on it at that point yeah. you know so <laughs> it's usually free <laughs> right exactly yeah you pay exactly. on the back end a little that's bit. right in but, fact i advertise if you want to get rid of your romaine lettuce i will take it off your hands <laughs> is that on so. your facebook page also? It is. It is. It is. So all good. <laughs> I was in Colorado recently and I ate uh, real like Tex-Mex Colorado Mexican food for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, I went for it. I was like, oh, yeah, give me the spicy stuff because I grew up in Santa Fe. So I'm like, right. pretty high tolerance for spicy food um, going in. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Going in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot like about the experience of having eaten spicy food going out. And man, the next day I was teaching yoga all weekend and it was, <laughs> it was, I was literally in pain, dude. It was painful. I had yeah. forgotten that, that, that the ring of fire is a real thing. Well, it's true. Cause like when I don't know about, as I get older, I find I can't eat spicy foods. Like, like when I used to eat Chinese food, I could even eat like those little red peppers that come in Chinese. I can't do that anymore. Dude. When I was in China, I got, uh, so I worked with this Chinese engineer. I would go there for making my yoga product all the time. Yeah. He'd always take me out to these amazing restaurants. And one time I was there for six weeks. So we ran out of like places to go, right? So he started taking me some more adventures and places. And one, we just called it the spicy place with heavy chairs because <laughs> they had these chairs that were made out of, each chair weighed like 200 pounds. Like, I'm not kidding. Scooting into your table was almost impossible. And then the way the chairs were designed, they didn't really scoot all the way in either because they had really high arms that hit the table. Mm -hmm. So it was just like the worst designed restaurant and the food was insanely spicy. Like right. you're sweating and crying and every dish is the same. Right. And it's from, it's, and the thing about China that people don't really know is like every region of China is extremely different and the cuisine sure. is extremely different. Almost every village, what I've heard is almost different. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's probably true. Every neighborhood makes it a little different than the next. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of neighborhoods in China. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you're staying in like the industrial part of China, which is where I was, yeah. you know, spending all my time making my yoga products, uh, they have every kind of restaurant there, right? Like every region's represented. So we would get to eat from a different region in China every night, which was pretty cool. And they're all super specialized. Like one place just served dumplings. 
know, lamb dumplings, like all these different dumplings. Amazing. Whatever you could do with Chinese food, they just wrapped it in wonton and served it to you. Right. Uh, but this spicy place, dude, like we ordered three different dishes. They seemed really different on the menu, but they just come in these pots and, and the top is just floating. Like there's zero broth. It's just pepper against pepper against pepper. You yeah. Know? And one was like more green peppers and one was more red. You'd have loved it, but it was it was painful. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, next day painful. It was painful in the moment. Right. But you were fine after that. Like if your stomach could handle it. You were okay, and if your mouth could handle it, you were okay. But uh, but Mexican food, man, I that's that shit hits you the next day. Yeah. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was so brutal. And the worst thing is, like, I'm teaching a yoga class. You know, yeah. I'm like supposed to seem like the guy who's got his shit together mm-hmm. and wouldn't say things like shit. And you know, and I'm literally. I like, was wondering I'm, what the what the uh, language on this uh, requirement on the podcast this is no holds barred podcast good say anything and everything because i have tourette's so uh you know it's possible (laughs) is that what i've experienced with you over the years yeah i thought it was that's why every time i'm on stage it's a different show i see okay i thought it was just righteous indignation but it's (laughs) it is it is no 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 absolutely all right cool well i mean i really do uh want to publicly thank you um for putting me on stage the first time like I'll never forget that experience. It was in Hendersonville. It was at that theater. And uh, I was opening for Sid Davis, who's hilarious and has since become a friend, you know. And like, and thanks to you, I've met all these really incredible comics. I really owe you this huge debt of gratitude that sometimes I feel like you don't realize how much I feel that. And other times I feel like you don't think I feel it enough. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. no. The second part of that is, is not true at all. I... It's odd because I have such an being kind of in an area where there aren't a lot of comedians. I mean, you're in Asheville where you have your share of comedians. Right. You know, Charlotte has its share, Greenville, Columbia, whatever. Hendersonville doesn't. It's kind of like me and Curtis McCarley, right. Chris Mack, and now Clifton Hall lives there. But, you know, the thing is, is that I'm kind of on my own little in my own little weird world over there. Right. So it's not that I don't like feel the appreciation or I think it's just that how do I explain this it's like I'm not with you every day to and I I don't ever want you to feel like you have to thank me all the time I don't know it's just I'm thankful for the people that do appreciate it you know yeah um because you know you've done shows it's it's always kind of a plus and minus with dealing with what we deal with on a daily basis as promoters and you know, short show organizers and everything else. It's, it's one of those, you have moments where you're like, wow, this is so great and so rewarding. And then there's moments when you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I breaking my back? But it's always the first part of that, that keeps us going, keeps yeah. us driving. Well, so. say more about that. Like, I mean, I remember when, uh, so when I, when you sort of handed off gut busters to me at one point, yeah. right before it shut down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but you had booked, you had booked a couple shows. You'd booked Julie yeah. Scoggins for a weekend and then you'd booked this insane and really enjoyable New Year's Eve extravaganza, which right. was two nights. And that was, uh, Janet Williams and Spanky Brown and Jack Willite. I remember. Um, um, and as a result, I'm like still friends. Well, okay. I'm still friends with all four of those people. Unfortunately, we lost Spanky a few years ago, yeah. but, um, uh, but I'm really close to Janet, and uh, and I'm very much in touch with Julie. And Jack, I had just haven't seen him again, but we had a great experience. He did my podcast, the whole thing. I'm doing a show with Jack in a couple weeks, a few weeks. Have you ever seen him? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's so insane, dude. Yeah, he's it's so a great. great. Show. Yeah, he puts it's on a, a really show. good show. 
And so, you know, uh, Julie Scoggins, I remember I asked her to be there at 7.15 for an 8 o'clock show. And she's like, I'll do whatever you want, but why? I was like, I don't know, it just feels like a good time. She's like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I can get there at 7.30. She's like, I'll do what you want because you're the promoter. But just so you know, like people like me, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about us. We're professional. We've been doing this a really long time. If you say 7.30, I'll be there at 7.30. I'll be ready to roll at 8. But I don't think you need me there at 7.15. And I was like, okay, I'll see you at 7.30 then. Like I didn't know. It was my first time producing. Yeah. I just I always give people a 15-minute window to be late. I figure if I say 7.15, they're there by 7.30. If I say 7.30, they're there by 7.45. If I say 7.45, they're not there at showtime. Right. But the people like Julie, the pros... I mean, this is their livelihood. They don't fuck around. They show up when they're supposed to show up. They do their job and they go home and they expect to be paid. And that's pretty much it. Like, and they're a pleasure to work with. Um, my, that's my, been my experience. Yeah. I'm curious what your experience has been. Cause you work with a whole strata of comics. And, uh, I mean, I'd love to hear about that. Well, what's interesting is when you go back to the Sid Davis show, well, the first show we sure. did together. Um, I don't think I ever had a more miserable evening with myself than that because uh, I did everything wrong as a comic, as an MC, as a promoter, as running a show, as I did that night. Or mm-hmm. did he do two nights? No, he did, he did one. Uh, he did one night. No, he did two nights. He did two nights. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, it was like my third or fourth time, I think, on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, I made the big mistake of when I was kind of bombing because I was trying new material. I kept going, hoping to get the crowd back. Uh, and then even between comics, I tried to do a little bit and I was like, oh, I, I'm just making a huge mistake. And uh, Sid Davis, you know, I've done probably 10 shows with Sid now. And, um, you know, we had to talk about it afterwards. I was so hard on myself. I literally was depressed after that show because of how bad my performance was and everything else. And he just gave me some great advice, and and uh, that show changed the way I looked at what. Now I'm not I'm not afraid to. I'm you know when learning to fail, it's like I was learning how to fail, and it changed the way I. Now of course doing one liners and sometimes monologue, you kind of go back and forth with bombing and and doing great, and we all have our wins and losses. But that show definitely made me uh, a better person, better comic promoter, everything else, and learning the mistakes. But when you talk about um, comics doing their thing. Uh, and I've never worked with Julie before. Um, you know, and we're not her, but just comics in general. I think some of them, yeah, it's very easy to just say, okay, you're the pro, you do what you do. Um, it's an, it's an odd thing because you definitely want to make sure you give everybody the respect of what they do. Um, on the other hand, there's times that I will say, hey, I need you here a little early. Like in Abbeville where you performed. Right. You remember that lip in the stage? Yeah. Okay. Wait, right. There's like a little drop down about five and if you, five feet from behind the front of the stage. Right. And if you don't know about it, you, you can bust like your slip. ass. Yeah. You can yeah. bust your ass on yeah. that stage, right? And I told a comic to get there half hour early because I want to show him the stage in the back, you know, and everything. And he shows up right at stage time. Sure enough, I didn't get time to tell him because I was working the sound booth. And he comes out and he takes a step back. And I mean, he, I don't know how he didn't fall backwards and bust his butt. He wasn't exactly a small person. Um, so <laughs> having I totally done that stage, that. I can imagine it. Like even knowing it was there, I still stepped off that lip a couple of times. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. not, not paying it. By the way, if you can hear me chewing, I'm having this delicious uh, cinnamon raisin <laughs> and lock smear bagel. Yeah. It's so delicious. 
I'm in heaven. Poor Mike's suffering. No, I, I just don't eat flavored bagels. Like cinnamon raisin, I don't get much less putting locks on it. But <laughs> like I don't do flavored creamers and coffee. I don't do I don't French know. vanilla coffee. You know? No. Oh, oh, gosh. No. Dude. I like the taste of coffee. No, like I, those I, milk. I like it milkshake looking bullshit drinks they they make there oh the frappuccinos i've never had one they just look ridiculous (sighs) they are ridiculous but they're ridiculously good are they that good i mean they're horrible sugary nightmares but yeah they're they're like an adult milkshake you can drink a milkshake as an adult and not feel like a child like that's what the frappuccino is about is it i mean that's what i I guess i go in there i love going in there and just saying i know this sounds crazy and i know this sounds weird I just, I want, just want a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's all I want. I want a cup of coffee. If you want to put in a shot of espresso, if you don't have your strongest one on there, cool. But no. And they always, you know. They're like, are you I don't sure do... you don't want some weird syrup mixed into it? No. That's hilarious. The funniest thing is that um, actually, uh, speaking of Starbucks, sorry to segue into this, but I had a funny Starbucks story like a week and a half ago. I just wanted to share. Um for whatever reason, my friends, especially my friends that are girls, love getting advice from me about the guys that they date. For whatever reason, I've become this person that has like given advice to my friends. And one of my good friends, she comes to me and she she's messaging me on Facebook. She says, oh, I just went out on this date with this guy and it was really great. And I said, oh, what'd you do? And she says, well, we went to Starbucks. And I said, what do you order? And she says, what do you mean, what, what do you order? I said, it's an important question. What did he order? And she says, he ordered the caramel macchiato. I go, he's married. <laughs> she says, what? I said, yeah, he's married. There's no guy that orders that kind of stuff. Sure not enough. Not on a first date. No, yeah. not on a first right, date, man. right? And she met him on a dating site. Sure enough, she found out a week and a half later. She said, you're not going to believe this. I said, of course. No yeah, woman order. No, no guy orders that if a woman didn't order it for him or something like that. That's so, really funny. So anyway, that was my funny story. No, that's story. a great story. It's a great like... Do you and you got a column now, right? I do. And so slice of Mike. So is that something it's, it's, that you're going to talk about in your column? Like you could do a whole column about how to know if yeah. this guy, how to know, how to judge a man by what he orders at Starbucks. Like there's so many signs, not just how a man, how he plays a game is very, is very, you know, how he takes defeat, how that's, that is crazy important. In terms of like whether or not he's married or just in terms of of his personality, his personality. Yeah. Sure, yeah, what you can. Um, I've also. Uh, does he get angry over stupid little things or is he overly like sweet and generous right at the beginning? There's so many signs that I help people with. It's sad. That's really fun. Do you have any insights into women that you can help me with or is it just you only understand men? Um, Maybe women are. Women are a little bit. I guess that's a really loaded question. To it ask really you. is. It I'm just going to me to you on this podcast by accident, right? You're going to somehow say something that's going to get you in trouble. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I mean, with women, a lot of times I just. I mean, I've been married for a long time, so it's not like I'm looking to pick up. But a lot of times, I think with women, it's what they talk about. Like, are they hung up on ex boyfriend? Are they, you know, I I can tell a lot by what kind of movies they like. Mm. That's a big thing with me. It's all romance, fuck comical romance. Like, I'll be honest. If a woman tells me her favorite movies are like Legally Blonde, Dirty Dancing, that's not the kind of woman that I'd want to be with. What I'm kind just... of movie do you want your the woman of your choice, to, woman of your dreams to watch? I like women. I, well, me personally, I love. To me, it says a lot about a woman if she likes kind of um, oddball comedy or movies that make you think. I like that kind of stuff. Like. 
one of my best friends, her favorite movie is Ghost World, which is one of my favorite movies of all time with Thor Birch and Scarlett Johansson, Steve Buscemi. If you haven't seen it, it's a great kind of offbeat comedy. That kind of stuff really I like because I know that this person and I are going to get along. Yeah. You know, I'm not into the horror movies and stuff. That kind of weirds me out. But, you know, yeah. I just watched a Scarlett Johansson movie with Adam Driver called Marriage Story on Netflix. Um, and here's what I said. I, my girlfriend and I watched it. We started watching it together and then we just, you know, got interested in other things partway through the movie, but it's not a romantic movie at all. Like it's about, it's, it's about the dissolution of a marriage. And, and Adam driver was talking to the producer on some show. They're being interviewed. And he said, it's a love story told through divorce. And that's a beautiful way to describe the movie. And at one point, Scarlett Johansson, who, her acting is so phenomenal in this movie. She's so natural. And so is he. They're yeah. two of my favorite actors. She's so natural. She's so phenomenal. She's so beautiful and, and lovable. And in this one scene, she's such a bitch. You know, mm-hmm. I told my girlfriend, I was like, she should win Best Actress because she's so good. I don't want to fuck her anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's how good she is at playing this awful person, you know? Yeah. And not even an awful person because she's never really an awful person, but she kind of... She goes, her, her awful comes out. Yeah. And, and, and she finds that in that character. And, and it's just amazing to me. Like, it's a very, um, the crazy thing was watching the credits roll on for 15 minutes of how many thousands of people made this seemingly very simple film. Yeah. When I say simple, I mean, you know, it was just a, it looked like a play that they filmed. Right. And. It wasn't, there were no special effects. There was nothing like that. It was really just acting and filming. Like it was just as, it was as kind of like a Woody Allen movie and, you know, um, without the negative backstory, <laughs> the off screen backstory, but, uh, but as far, but it actually felt like a Woody Allen movie and, and kind of the, the, what it was about and how it was. And handled. I'm a huge Woody Allen fan. I'm a huge Woody Allen fan too. It's one of those, there's a great, there's a great bit. I'm zoning on the comics name. But he does this whole bit about, he's an African-American comic, young guy, this whole bit about how we accept Woody Allen for having sex with a minor. No, we I just, disagree. Oh, you mean comics do? No, as a, as a society, we still watch his movies. Like, there's a degree to which, I mean, he's, he is, he's lost some fans, no doubt. Oh, yeah. But there's a degree to which, like, he did kind of get a pass, you know? But see, like then I he compares it to Michael Jackson, who, you know, and and there's that whole story. And he tells a really funny joke about it, um, which I'm not going to try and I'm not going right, to ruin right. it. But um, anyway, it's, it's an interesting premise how he talks about the degree to which, you know, Woody Allen did this thing that's clearly not OK, but we still watch his movies like um, they're that good, you know, and. And he talks about Michael Jackson is like some people, you know, are still listening to his music because it's that good. You know, it's like it's it's a tough one. Like I can't listen to Michael Jackson's music really right now. It's it's still. Well, Woody Allen, it's interesting because um, I do a joke about Woody Allen and one liner in my set where I say, you know, you know, that be- along with being a great comedian, he's also a very accomplished musician. And uh, he loves to perform in A minor. Okay, that's my my bad one-liner about... I know, it's just sad. And I always get boos and groans, and that's fine. That means they're listening. But, um, you know, I'm kind of mixed on the Woody Allen thing. And it, because, you know, they act like it was his blood daughter. It wasn't his blood daughter. They act like they had affairs when she was a minor. 
they weren't having affairs when she was an actual minor. <laughs> but, you know, on the other hand, I mean, what he did was legal. It's just maybe socially wrong. I mean, it's weird. It's weird. It's, it's definitely weird. weird. I mean, you know, we have the same birthday, too. You and Woody? Okay, or you and, you check and his this daughter. out. I have the same birthday as Woody Allen, Richard Pryor, and Sarah Silverman. That's actually pretty good company. For that is comedy. good company. Yeah. 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 So a lot of. That's a lot coke. of pressure, though. That's a lot of coke, a lot of. Uh, Miners and a lot of uh, other comics. And getting a lot of different kinds of trouble. Yeah, Sarah exactly. Silverman's always getting in trouble for something. And she's like, I don't know, she's one of my favorite comics. She's so amazing. And she so actually charming. is very good. She's really good. Yeah. I think she's great. And and um, I don't like most new comics, I'll be honest. I, but I she's don't. not new. She's been doing it for 20 years. That's she just new. seems. Oh, That's that. new to us. <laughs> How long have you been doing comedy? I, I, haven't, I haven't been doing comedy long. <laughs> so you hate You've yourself? Been, I do. I'm, I'm a, you know, no. I, I don't I, like those new comics, myself included. <laughs> like, I, I really, no, I, I hate my comedy. I No, I'm just kidding. No, but I don't know. I don't like ranters. And I think a lot of the comics today are ranters. I just don't. It's not my kind of humor. I like very um, intelligent, well thought out. Now, there are intelligent ranters. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. What's an example of a ranter? Okay, so <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Dave Attell. Okay. Okay. Now I get told I look like him half the time when I have my. Maybe beard. that's why you don't like him. Maybe so. But you know, um, I don't. I don't know. Lewis Black, not my kind of thing. I. Not that. We always had ranters, I guess. But I mean, I've always been like when Woody Allen. When we were talking about him, his. Stand-up comedy was brilliant before he made a lot of some bad, some good movies. Um, you know, I love, of course, Emo Phillips and Mitch Hedberg and, and um, I don't know. I like those kind of comics. That you like people who tell jokes. You like... I like joke tellers. You like joke tellers, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't need to hear, uh, you know, fuck this and fuck that and oh my gosh, you know, life sucks. It's just... That's why I don't watch a lot of stand-up comedy anymore. I don't know if you... I, you're you're a real student of comedy. Yeah, I am. I am not. I am not at all. I well, don't watch stand-up comedy. no obligation. Comedy. I mean... No, I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> no obligation. No, I don't watch a lot of stand-up comedy. Yeah. I, I'm, I haven't actually watched a stand-up special in... Uh, I don't remember the last one I watched. It feels like it's been a month. Bill Burr. I went through a whole Bill Burr binge. Like, yeah. when he was coming to town... Right. Um, I know you were super his excited. His, yeah, his show is incredible. It's yeah. probably the best live stand-up show I've ever seen. And I've seen other people who I really loved. I love Anthony Jeselnik. I just love that guy. And I saw Dave Chappelle, and he's amazing. I saw Louis before he fell from grace, and I've never laughed so hard in my life, you right. know. Um, but there's something about the way Bill Burr goes on stage and just is for 90 minutes. You know, he did a full 90 minutes easily and he just was himself and it felt so effortless and, and he was having so much fun the whole time. Right. So anyway, leading up to this, this is seeing him perform here in Asheville. I watched all his specials and I started watching F is for family and I really got into his mindset. Like I really started to understand him. And I mean, that's a guy who rants. He doesn't do punchlines, but he's hilarious throughout. Like his, his ability and he, and he takes on these pretty big premises, I think is the way you're supposed to phrase it. And, and they're really brave, uh, especially in today's climate, you know, and he's, he's, he's labeled as misogynist a lot, which I don't honestly think he is, but I get why people say that about his humor. Cause if you're not willing to go past the first layer, it sounds like misogyny, but really 
you know, he just really, I think, understands people and isn't afraid to say the things the rest of us are afraid to say about it. And and he's good enough to say it funny enough that in my mind it's okay, you know. But Yeah, and I'm not saying that ranters can't be funny. It's just, you know, again, I I, I respect what they do, being able to go up and, and throw that out to a crowd and people enjoy it. I mean, you and I both, I know, agree that, like, Bobby Slayton, is a ranter that I think is hilariously yeah. funny. Bobby Slayton is the funniest comic I've ever seen live. Yeah, he's, he's. I saw him at the Punchline years ago in Atlanta. We, it was one of those, you know, free tickets during a week show, and oh my gosh, I was like almost in tears. I was laughing so hard. Now he's very much a ranter and hates everything, um, and you know he'll offend whoever is. Oh yeah, matter. he's an equal opportunity offender. Oh gosh, I mean, you know, he did some jokes that you know. It, I just and you couldn't get away with maybe today or if you did, you might get thrown you know, out. But he was phenomenally funny. You know, I mean, he put a thing on Facebook uh, about a cancel culture thing. He's like, well, I guess tonight I might get canceled. I'm performing at the improv in Orange County and I'm just I'm not changing a thing in my act. And I just wrote I was like the day you start changing your act for cancel culture is the day that comedy has died. You know? But it has to a point comedy has died to a point i think a little bit yeah okay tell me well again you know i mean we've all said that it's getting to where you can't talk about what you want to talk about but um on top of that when you say it seems like we've gotten into a mode where people rather go see a free show of you know open mics and and everything else rather than pay 10 to $15 to see a real headliner that will make you laugh out loud. Yeah. I think that has become, um, now there's some great open mic comics and they you know, they get, and I book a lot of them, you know, whatever. But, um, I don't think comedy's quite what it was. Open mics were not a huge thing when I started watching comedy. Hmm. You know, I loved going, I, like I said, I used to go to the punchline a lot when they had free Wednesday and Thursday shows and you bought two drinks for, ridiculous amounts but it's worth the show and uh i don't know i think comedy i'm not saying is is dead by a stretch of the imagination but it's definitely taken a turn i think of what we're of the expectation of somebody going to a show it's interesting like so you just said a bunch of things that are all interesting to me um so i want to unpack it a little bit uh one is the idea of a free show like whether comedy should cost money or not like right. I put on a lot of free shows in breweries and then we collect sure. tips. So they're really not free, <laughs> but the people get to pay what they feel like they wanted to pay. And some people pay nothing and other people drop $20 bills in the jar. Sure. Like I'm amazed oh, yeah. at how generous people can be, especially in Hendersonville where you're from. Yeah. I mean, we kill it in Hendersonville in the tip right. jar. It's unbelievable how much we also have a pretty big room. Like we have a hundred people showing up for these shows, but, but I'm amazed at how big the bills are that show up in that jar. So that's one thing. So it's, that's been interesting. Like you give, there's this thing like where you give something to people and allow them to give what they want back. And the people who are mm-hmm. of a giving mind will give more than you would have asked. Yeah. For. Oh yeah. And the other people are just happy to get away with a free show or they're, they drink you know, water and you yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, they're whatever, you know, and that's, that's okay too. Like who knows what their story is? Maybe yeah. they don't have the money and they just like, they're broke and they're on food stamps and they want to be able to enjoy comedy and they, and so, and they should be able to like they, this makes some, that might be the person who laughs the hardest that night. 
So as a comic, they might be your favorite audience member, but it turns out they didn't have enough money to put in the tip jar. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's, I've had other people give me big tips, but they were sitting so far in the corner, they were having their own conversation. They weren't paying attention, but they appreciated what we were doing. So they give us money anyway. Like, which, who do you generally, want at your shows? But generally when we, when we do get a lot of tips, it's like 10 people do ma the majority of sure. it and everybody else yeah. puts a buck or two. Right. And you know, that just, I, I get what you're saying. I do. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, you got to appreciate what, the cost that goes into what we do, mm -hmm. you know? And as a promoter, I don't think even some comics realize what we go through to put a show together, to get people in the, the, you know, one of the biggest arguments I've seen on comedy pages is whose job is it to promote a show? Whose job is it to fill seats? Right. Whose job is it to make sure that show goes well? And the comics are almost like it's a promoter's job. It's the venue's job and every, you know, that's the mentality sometimes that uh, I think it's part true and part of it is, okay, fine, but are you at least even appreciative of the fact that you're getting this kind of stage time? Right. And you and I have, have I think, talked about the fact that it's always a mixed bag. You get the egos, you get the, you get the people who are very appreciative. You've always been very appreciative of everything that, you know, you've gotten. Um, and, you know, it's just always really, really comics are always kind of an odd bunch anyway. Cause right. we comics always deal with, um, a variety of emotions. We're very sensitive people. We're very, as, as a whole, you know, um, we, we do get, our, we do have our egos. We do have our, um, need to be respected for what we do and, and loved for what we do. And we hate the fact if somebody doesn't like what we do or, do something different, especially as a promoter comic like you and I are. Yeah, that's a tough, it's tough to be both. It's really tough to be both. Um, and trying to be honest on top of that with people, whether it's, hey, you're not ready for this, or hey, I can only pay you this, or hey, you know, you're phenomenal. I want whatever we go through. Right. You know, it's always a. Uh, the hardest for me psychology. is when somebody sends me a tape that yeah. just isn't good enough. And I'm right. like, and it's hard for me. It's not the promoter in me doesn't have a hard time saying, hey, um, you know, I'll let you know when I have something for you. That's usually what I'll tell them. So now anybody listening to this has heard that from me. They'll know their, their submission tape wasn't good enough. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, if they're good, I want them right away. But as a comic who's also trying to get booked on other people's shows, I never like to say no to people. Yeah. And that's a really hard one. It's like I want to say yes to them. So they'll say yes to me. But then I have to feel like, well, hopefully my comedy is good enough that they'll say yes to my comedy, not say yes to me because I let them on a show. Um, See, I'm brutally honest with people. Well, but you're, I think you're, a, these days it feels to me like you're a producer promoter first and yeah. a comic second. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. I'm a comic first and a promoter and producer second. Like I produce shows in Asheville because no one puts me on their shows in Asheville. Like I'm just not in I with a I see you cool on a crap. lot of shows. That's bullshit. I see you on a lot of shows. Most oh. of them I produce. Okay. I'm telling you, man, Fair look enough. at look at other people's shows. If I'm on it, it's because the show's been on for a year and they've gone through every other decent comic in Asheville. <laughs> um, well, at least you get those. Yeah. I, I can name three producers in the Carolinas that have ever even asked me if I've ever, if I've ever been interested in being on a show. You're mm. one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gotten to a point where I'm just brutally honest with people now. And as much as people hate me for it, um, tough shit. 
Yeah. You know, when I first got into, when we were doing Gut Busters, I was trying to be so nice to everybody. It was just like I was trying to please everybody. I would feed them any line of bullshit to make them feel good about themselves. And then one <laughs> I'm day. I'm suddenly feeling worse about myself. Go no, ahead. No, I'm just well, kidding. <laughs> one day, I mean, somebody who we both know and respect said, one day you're just going to have to kind of grow a pair and be honest with people. You can't keep putting all these people on your shows because your shows are going to be um, lacking. Right. People are paying for it, especially if you're asking for money. Right. Um, and uh, like when we were doing Curtis's show, who cared? I mean, if we 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 used it sometimes as trying out new material or something like that. Right. We both headlined there at one point. Yeah. And everything else. But I decided one day I'm like, you know what? They're right. I'm going to start being honest with people. When some, somebody sends me a video, my first question or I'll be honest, like you've gotten the video where nobody's laughing except for the person holding the camera that's trying to laugh hard enough to make that person seem funny. Right. I'll be honest and say, send me a video when you don't have one person laughing. That's the person holding the camera. Wow. Yeah. I'll be that bluntly honest with. I'll say, hey, listen, I'm not putting you on stage if you're going to take your notes on stage. You can't do five minutes without looking down. Mm. Sorry, not going to happen. Right. Um, I, I One guy sent me a video the other day. And um, he wasn't right for what I was booking because he was just a little bit raw talking about, you know, meth heads and stuff. And I'm, you know, I do a lot of theater shows where that won't work. But I said, do you want, really want to know how I feel about this? And I saw that he saw my message back and took a minute. And then he was like, sure. I said, honestly, this was the best video I got today because you know who you are as a comic. Your timing is fantastic. You need material that's going to relate more to an older crowd, so I can't put you on. But it was the best one I got today. Thank you for this. And what was and, his response? Oh, He was like, oh, my God, thank you. He goes, nobody's ever told me I'm good. I said, you're better than you think you are. I said, um, I said you're better than you think you are. But you have to uh, definitely gear your material towards, if you're going to do like Abbeville. Right. Now, if I'm doing... Like I have Donnie Baker at the Orange Peel next month. If I have that kind of a show, yeah, I could put somebody on that's a little bit more raw. That's totally cool. But, you know, um, I've just learned to be honest. And people have defriended me, blocked me, hated me, talked bad about me. I don't care. I really don't because I'm done with kind of sweet-talking people and giving them false hope. Yeah. It's just not – that's not productive to me. And people say that to me. I mean – and. You know, it, I, the comedians I work with, like I do a lot of shows with Pam Stone, as you know, from the TV show coach and she's been on Jay Leno and I, I love doing shows with her. I can't put anybody up that curses in front of her. I can't. She's a totally clean comic. She doesn't want anybody cursing. Her. Judy Tenu does not want anybody cursing in front of her. Emo Phillips kind of to a point does not want anybody. I can't put them on if that's the kind of comic they want to be. Not that I don't respect it, not that I don't like it, but, um, you know, when we do Reap, you want to curse? Sure, let's do it. Cool. I can't wait for the John Reap show, man. I'm so glad. We're going to have fun. I'm really grateful to be on those shows. I want you to know that. Like, I know you've been bugging me for an Orange Peel show for a while. Well, that's a big stage, man. That's the that's the second biggest stage in town, or maybe the third if you include Diana Wortham, which very, you know, sporadically has comedy. But it's just... It's such a big room. It's such a good room. And with John Reap, it's going to be such a solid crowd. Like, I just think it's going to be awesome. So Yeah, John um, definitely brings out the the fun crowd. That's yeah, no doubt he does. About that. He has people who, I mean, he's from Hickory. And they Hickory. drive from Hickory 
to come see him. Yeah. That's so cool. And other places. Yeah. We had no, a lot of, of people yeah, from yeah. Tennessee, Virginia, Atlanta that came to see that show uh, last time we had him at the Orange Peel. And um, I've opened for John three times now. He did The Artisan one night. Um, That's amazing the, that he did The Artisan. That must have been incredible. It was, yeah, we almost sold out. It was a Sunday night, so it wasn't quite sold out. But um, that was the first time I ever just did one-liners, and mm -hmm. I had a great time with it. And he's like, dude, you should be a one-liner comic. And then, like, three weeks later, I did your show, and I did the one-liners. I was like, oh, this is not happening. <laughs> well, it's, you never know. It's all right. You were also trying on this sort of uh, fidgety persona at the time. I was. I um, was, because uh, I think I was so inspired by emo and and... He loved when I did that. You right. know, he felt like it was very much a throwback to what he used to do. Um, and so I think I've realized that that's not me. It's hard to find you. It's really hard to find yourself. That's, yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say. When you're talking about, like, cussing on stage and whatever, I went for two years without dropping a single F-bomb on stage. Yeah. And then I wrote this one joke that absolutely required it. Yep. We all have those. And then recently... I think it's in the last six months or, or so, um, maybe certainly in the last year, I really started to think about like what's missing from my act, you know, and what's not there. And, and the thing that I felt like was missing from my act was me. Yep. And I'm like, well, how do I talk in normal life? I cuss in normal life. Sometimes way too much. Sometimes, you know, with my daughter in the room, like I just, I mean, I just, I, it's a part of how I express myself. And I realized that by going out of my way not to do it, it was really tightening up my character on stage. And and especially like I do a lot of crowd work and an increasing amount of crowd work. And then I just have to be able to talk normally. And it seems weird if like I'm, you know, dropping F-bombs when I'm talking to an audience member, but then I'm suddenly squeaky clean in a, in a bit. It separates the bit from the crowd work. And I want that stuff to be seamless. So I realized I have to let myself be loose with my language on stage. Right. And my girlfriend who hadn't seen me on stage for six or eight months saw me for the first time, you know, recently she's like, boy, you've really loosened up with that F word. <laughs> I've never heard you say fuck so many times in my life. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then I said, yeah, I said sometime I, I was like, yeah, sometime in the last, like since you saw me last, you know I mean? I, I kind of came to this conclusion that, that that's part of who I am as a person. So, it needs to be part of who I am on stage. Yeah. And as a result, like there's some shows I can't do. Like I did uh, this guy, um, Randy Robbins. He teaches comedy at UNCA and he let me come perform at his graduation show for his students. So his students all come up. They've all got friends and family there. They all kill it because their friends and family are there to support them. Of course. Then he introduces me as like one of his mentors. I'm like, ugh. Don't fucking say that, you know? Right. Like, if I'm anything short of Jerry Seinfeld, they're going to hate me right now. Right. And then I was, I fell well short of Jerry Seinfeld. And, yeah. and not only that, my, like, the crowd was 60 and up. And I probably said fuck 13 times in 11 minutes. Like, wow. Yeah. It was, and I just, I'd never been so conscious of how sexual my humor had become as I was in this room with these people. At one point, I just turned to him. I said, I'm actually bombing at the comedy class show, you know? <laughs> like, well, and I wasn't. I mean, I listened yeah. to the tape, and they were laughing a lot. And my daughter, who was in the other room and could hear the show, she said they were laughing the whole time. I'm like, could you hear me? Because I really didn't need her to hear my act. And right. she's like, I just listened to the parts that were about me. The rest of the stuff, I could hear it, but I didn't listen to it. And I kind of believe her. Like, she's she can shut stuff out somehow. I can't do it. 
But but she was like, they were laughing, and it was just really cute to have my 11-year-old deconstruct my act, you know? Well, and when you, you talk about cursing, and I've said this a million times, um, I was on a radio show recently, and they asked about how politically political correctness has changed the way we do comedy. And I said, there is a big difference between content and intent. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's what we've, uh, the audience has lost over time is we do not curse or say something sexual or whatever. Now, is the intention to offend somebody? If that's the case, then yeah, you deserve every, or is it just the content basically trying to make people laugh? You know, that's it. Is a sexual joke could be really, really funny or a racist joke or a misogynistic joke can be funny, right? But if you're, if the intention is just basically to be shocking and to, um, make people hate it then that's a totally different situation well at one point i said to this crowd i said all right that was one too many sex jokes for you guys and i get it you're just not interested in sex anymore (laughs) (laughs) and they all fucking laughed except this one like 60 something year old woman in the front row she's like that's not true and i wish i'd had the presence of mind to say well then i will get your number after the show you know but i just like i didn't you know I, I don't know. I said something not at all comedically effective to her, but um, it was, it was, I mean, I just, yeah, it was a real eye opener for me. And of course my intent is only ever to be funny. Right. And if the content is offensive, that's because it's the funniest way to say the thing I'm trying to say. Exactly. And I don't think I should have to worry about being offensive. There's a joke that I think it's my best joke. And I can't tell it in Asheville. And then in Charlotte at the comedy festival recently, it was in September, um, I got booked on an Anything Goes show. And I'm not sure that when this particular comic booked an Anything Goes show, he knew what Anything Goes meant to me. Right. Like he'd seen me perform, so he just felt like, oh, well, Jason's normal act is Anything Goes. But I busted out some special material for his show that I don't get to do very often. And I exclusively did my most edgy material. Yeah. And I opened with this joke that has gotten me in so much trouble. And I opened by saying, you know, we've all agreed not to get offended by anything that gets set up here tonight. Right. And people started, you know, hooting and hollering. And I was like, let's find out. And I said that to them, you know, and then I told this joke. And I mean, it did really well. My whole set did really well. Comics were coming up to me afterwards and complimenting me. And it was like, I had a number of people come up to me and just be like, you just fucking murdered it up there. And it was the first time I felt what killing feels like, even though that I'm not going to say I killed because I've been around comics who've killed and it still wasn't that. Right. But for me, it was one of the most successful sets I've ever had. And part of it was I just owned who I really am up there and I did the stuff that matters to me. And I didn't worry about how upset people were going to be by it. And it was a show called Anything Goes. It was a show where people knew that they were what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. So it was an okay environment to go there. Like Pam Stone wouldn't want me to open with that joke. No, no. And don't worry, I wouldn't do it. Right. But I know you <laughs> you know better than to put me on a Pam Stone show, I'm afraid. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm just, I, I, yeah, I've, I've gotten to a point where I don't know how to be clean anymore. It's not who I am, and so it's just not what I'm trying to do. And that's okay. And I tell people that. Yeah. That guy who did that edgy material, I said, it's okay to be you. And I would never talk you out of being you because we had actually a long back and forth. I said, don't ever change who you are. However, I'll just let you know there are only certain positions that will, you know, you have to understand that. I mean, there's a 
comic out of Charlotte who um, is, I've never worked with this person, but I know he's, he's a f- incredibly offensive from what I'm to understand. And he's okay with the fact that the three or four big names that love what he does will let him open for them. And he's cool with that. And if he gets booked, great. And if not, that's fine too. He doesn't yeah. care. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And I don't even find him that offensive. Like, And that's fine. And, yeah. and it's like, he is such a brilliantly funny comic. Yeah. And I've heard that. Yeah. yeah he's really funny. I, I think you could put him on some of your shows and you wouldn't have a problem. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've never worked with him. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, when I when I read his post, sometimes I, I laugh because we have a, a very... He's so funny. His he, posts are hilarious. He, it's It's almost like... It's me with more a lot more edge because he does a lot of kind of one liners or yeah. or or um, uh, what's the word like you know very uh, like wordplay stuff. Or? He does wordplay, but he also uh, is very brilliant in the way he he looks at something and and makes it a, a very edgy. Right. Whereas I do that, but not quite as brilliant, not quite as edgy. I just kind of I do the play on words kind of thing because that's how I was brought up. I think just you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is kind of different when you talk about comics and how they uh, view themselves and how they're willing to re- to do different material based on. Uh, one of my favorite comics, actually, in the Carolinas, um, and I'll go ahead and say who it is. Um, I love Adam Schulte, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know if he listens to your cast, but I, and I've said this to his face. I like Adam because he's so different from every other comic. He is, his material is so out there. It's kind of, he's so dark though. And that's why he, I can't book him in a lot of rooms. Now I just booked him for, for Abbeville, uh, for one of my shows. And he says he's going to lighten up a little bit, but I've been honest. And I like the fact he's different and doesn't mind being different. That's totally cool. I love that. He won our open mic competition out of 12 wow. open micers. And it wasn't even close to be honest with really? you. It was him and then everybody else. That's and there were phenomenal. some, there were some names in there that are pretty accustomed to winning, <laughs> accustomed to winning or bookable or comedy yeah. zone norm, you know, regulars on their shows. Um, and he beat them pretty handedly, but yeah, it's just like, I, and I really don't, didn't want to use names on here, but I've just, so we're saying positive things about him. Like, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it's, Every show and every venue is so different. And I don't think people understand that yeah. because like who I put at the orange peel and who I book for Abbeville and who I book for uh, the artisan one. Now that's we've, we've closed that down, but you know, is, and you do this too as a promoter. I'm sure there's, there's a strategy involved in what we do. If I have a headliner that I know can absolutely murder it, like literally there's a hundred percent chance of him being great. I'm willing to see a go a little bit, a little bit. I don't want to say lesser because it's not lesser comic, but because everybody has their good and bad days. But I'm willing to uh, concede to the fact that I'm willing to take a little bit of a risk on the on the feature or the MC if I know that the comic is a recent headliner. Then I have to have make sure I have a strong mm. feature. Right. You know. That's why I book a lot of the same people. I get that a lot. You know, I get, well, I see you've booked this person for like three or four shows. Why am I not getting that spot? To be honest, I'm comfortable with them. I know what they bring to the table. It's just the way it is. And I'm honest with people. And because of it, yeah, I've made some people that can't stand me for it. And that's fine. Yeah. But then there are people that respect the hell out of that. 
and they keep trying. I have at least three or four comics I book pretty regularly that I turned down the first time. Well, I mean, it's people it's need to be ready. And that's it. That's a hard thing too. It's like, I want, the hardest thing for me as a promoter, like I want to create a level of expectation in the audience that they can come to any one of my shows and they, they trust me as the host and the booker to give them a great show. So they don't, it doesn't matter that they've never heard of any of the comics because I'm booking mostly unknown people. Sure. Like everyone's like, you know, an Asheville level feature, which means they'd be an MC in a bigger market. Right. But they're pretty good. Like, you know, and I mean, Asheville level feature, we have people here who can do 15 to 20 pretty reliable minutes. We have a lot of those people. Yep. You know, we have another handful of people who've got five to 10, like really strong minutes. Like it's, it's impressive. We have a pretty good crew here in Asheville. I'm pretty impressed by the level of talent here. Absolutely. And, you know, and I like to book people from other cities and for lots of reasons. One is I just, you know, the audiences, you got similar audiences. They keep going to the same you know, shows in different places and it's all the same comics, they get bored. So I like to mix it up with some locals and some imports. And, um, but I want to make sure people are good enough. Like I want to pe give people a chance. They're like, oh, let me come, I'll kill it for you. I'm like, I've seen you. I haven't seen you kill it once. Right. You know, and I can't do that to my show. Exactly. Like, and I'm sorry. And I'm like, I will let you but know. See, you, that's the thing. I'm sorry. It's, I, I don't even apologize about it. I don't. Yeah. I'm pretty, I know it's like that sounds brutal, but why apologize for something you didn't do? I mean, you know, it's it's, it's the way it is. You well, know? I'm, I'm apologizing for probably hurting their feelings, but you know, um, I get that. But uh, but I, I also get like, what do you bother? You know, what's the apology about? It probably makes me feel better. <laughs> but I, I mean, we, you know, we've and you and I have had this discussion. I'm changing a lot of the ways that I've done my business. Yeah. I don't do shows anymore unless I'm making money because that's what I do. I do promotions. I'm in this for the full full time now. I'm doing this for for the run of what we're doing. But um, I'm very honest with people. If they don't like me for it, whatever. I, I don't book people that aren't um, going to be excited and thankful for what they get. I don't care if they're making. If, if a comic's first question to me before I even start is how much do you pay, I'm done. That's not even... That's a conversation Before ender you for you. Even sent yeah. me a video or anything like that. That's a huge red flag. I mean, beyond red flag. Um, you know, I don't like comics saying, "Well, why do you book this person? I'm funnier." That's goodbye. So right. long. You know, it's not about that. It's really not. I mean, I'll, I'll put good comics on stage, but you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I had a comic who's a North Carolina person that. Sent me a video, pretty funny, but looked at notes the whole time. I said, why are you looking at notes? Right. It's the way it is. I, I'm yeah. not going to put somebody on, on a main stage that is going to sit and read notes. You know? Yeah. If you are if you don't even bother to be excited and put it on your Facebook page, I'm not saying you have to promote it every week, but say, hey, I'm going to be at this. If you know anybody in the area, if you don't do that, done. Yeah. If you're a promoter and ask me 10 times for a show and never once asked me to be on your show done bye don't have time for you yeah because and i know it's like there are probably people that are going to listen to this that are comics that are like geez what an asshole but i'll be honest that's what i am you talked about how as a comic you need to be who you are right i'm starting to realize that i need to be who i am and that's a business person and you're right i am a promoter and and, and director before i'm 
a comic. I will agree with that 100%. You know, I'm very thankful that a lot of the comics allow me to open for them uh, when even if I book them. Right. I've had comics before that I've booked say, you know, get I'm, I want this person or whatever. Right. And I'm totally cool with that. But I have developed a relationship with some of the people that I've been very thankful for. But um, no, man, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I know it sounds terrible. I mean, I, I don't, I just, I think you're being honest and the truth is not always pretty, you know? Um, and comedy is not always pretty. So you're being the truthful about comedy. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, uh, I think it's totally okay. I, um, I wanted to, we, we were in the middle of the Sid Davis thing a while ago yeah. and we got distracted by flavored coffee, Yeah. but I wanted to come back to it because you were talking about, it was your first really, it was like your third show you produced, but you felt like you did everything wrong that night. He did. gave you some great advice. Can you remind me what he said again? Because that was so long ago in the um, conversation. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And uh, we went out to um, dinner afterwards. Uh, and I told him, I said, I feel terrible. I just kept going on. I was, And he kind of calmed me down. He said, just remember something. He goes, first of all, to be honest, they're not there to see you. you. They're <laughs> there to see the headliner, right. you know, whatever. And he says, and God, if you're if you're not doing well, off the state you know and you're said early whatever you have to do i did that at your show when mm. i did that last year i went with the one-liner after i did a joke that offended the crowd uh i felt i i was basically at a loss and that's okay um and i just did nine minutes instead of 12 and yeah. i kind of cut myself short um and i felt better about the fact that i just did my nine minutes of one-liners and got the hell off the stage um but Mainly that was it. And he said another thing too. He said, you're a good writer. He says, but your jokes are, you know, taking way too long. Cause back then I was much more of a monologue storyteller than mm. I was a one liner guy. He said, and we've all heard this, cut the fat out of the jokes. Right. Even if it's two or three words, Emo Phillips once said to me, he said, um, we were driving to Atlanta for a show together. And Emo's my favorite comic. People know that about me that know me. Um, he said, there's never a joke that you write that you should ever throw away. Don't ever throw away a joke. Because when you wrote it, you thought it was funny enough for the stage. It's probably something either uh, in your delivery or the way you're saying it or your mannerisms that are making it not what getting the results you want. Hmm. And I went back and I really looked back at jokes I hadn't done in years, okay? Um, and I did that. I started cutting it and that was, you know, between Sid's thing Sid's advice to me then, and then going up to Emo's advice, um, it reminded me of the fact that what I write is funny, but I still don't know who I am as a comic because people that have seen me have seen me do one-liners. They've seen me do monologue. They've seen me do a lot of stories. They've seen me do kind of set up punchline, you know, after joke or whatever, right. and then move on, which is really what I want to be doing. Uh, but... I think Sid's advice was just that really like, you know, understand you're there as an MC to make people smile, do a couple jokes that make people laugh and set up for us. Right. And that was the day I became a better comic because, mm. uh, my first three shows were pretty brutal. They were, you know, but I never did open mics. I got thrown into this theater at the Hendersonville community theater. And I had done one MC or two MC gigs for five minutes years and years ago to go up in front of a hundred people with material that, you know, I did three jokes that I did 13 years ago and that was it. The rest of it was all new material. 
And you know how that is when you go up and you think everything's going to be funny, but you don't know. Well, and when you're not experienced and a joke doesn't go well, it can derail you for the rest of the night. Absolutely. It's like when I used to play poker, they would call it going on tilt. You know, you lose a big hand and you just start making one bad decision after another. And before you know it, you could have been playing for four hours and in 20 minutes you're broke. Yeah. And, and that's called going on tilt and poker. And I think that's the equivalent of bombing in comedy. Once you, when a, when a joke doesn't land, you haven't bombed. Right. But when the rest of your jokes don't land, now you bombed. Right. And when you're, when you're not experienced as a comic and you don't have enough experience with your jokes and you don't know which ones you can rely on or what kinds of positive and negative effects they might have on crowds, you know, having a joke not land can devastate you. But I've developed a whole routine around my routine. You know, like I have a whole commentary going when people like a joke or don't like a joke. And and I, I remember Julie Scoggins yelled at me last time I performed with her to not do that. She's like, if a joke doesn't work, don't tell us it didn't work. We know it didn't work. We, we heard it not work. I was like, well, okay. I just took the advice. And it is good advice. However, I've had nights where a joke didn't work and I've made a funny comment about it not working and that comment hit pretty hard. And what I learned was if the crowd is feeling me yeah. and a joke doesn't land, but I make fun of the joke not landing, then they love me for it. And if a joke does well and I make a comment about, oh, well, that joke did well, they love me for that. But if they're not feeling me, then it doesn't matter what I, then then making comments is the worst thing I can do. Because if they're not feeling me and a joke doesn't land and I say it didn't land, they're like, yeah, we saw that not land. We're the ones who told you it didn't land by not laughing at it. And now you're wasting more time talking about it. And then if I do a joke that does work and I say, oh, good, you like that one. They're like, we know we like that one. We don't like you telling us you know like so it's really do they like you or do they not like you and then whatever happens from there it it it, it, it uh snowballs in either direction positive or negative sure. you know um so that was a really interesting thing for me and now i i mean i have i have some pretty reliable material at this point um i've had to throw a lot of it away because I just went through a relationship cycle with someone who I'm with now, but we broke up for a while and it was a pretty traumatic. <laughs> there are jokes about her in there. It was a pretty traumatic oh breakup. Gosh. And I probably know which jokes you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and she knows what jokes I'm talking about. She watched me do all those jokes recently. With her permission, I did them with her in the room. But I could see her face. Yeah. And it threw me. And and then afterwards she's like, Yeah, I don't think I'm okay with it. And so I'm like, well, I guess I have to retire the jokes. And then the other night I did a set where she wasn't there for it. And I have this way of getting into my material through crowd work. And I, and there were these three guys there and they were just dudes at the bar, but I teased them about being together. And I was like, is this a polyamorous relationship? And, I, and usually I'll, I will ask someone in the room if their table is polyamorous so that I can talk about polyamory. Right. And and I was like, oh, I just, it was such an old habit to do that. And I was like, you know what? I can't even, t- I, I don't know why I asked you that. I, I can't do this material anymore. And, and I explained what happened. I was like, I just got back to this girl, you know, and like, and I wrote all this great material about her, but we're together now. I can't do it. And they're like, do it. The whole crowd's like, do it, you know? So, so I did it. I was like, you really wanted to like, yeah. So I really got them on board with me doing this awful stuff. And by awful, I mean, it's awful for her. It's good jokes. And 
And it went really well. Yeah. And I said, she's going to listen. She's going to want to see this later. She's going to hate me for doing it. And I'm even saying that, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, they're laughing so hard. I'm like, I love that you guys love these jokes. I love them so much. And I love my girl. She's like the love of my life. But so are these jokes, you know, like, I don't know. Right. I mean, like I could get another girlfriend. It's really hard to write five minutes of great right. material, you know, That's great. Like, yeah, I yeah. mean, and, uh, and of course, when I got home, she wanted to hear it. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, I would rather watch you do what you did than hear you talk about what you did and then fill in the blanks myself. And so I watched her, watched my set, and it was awful, you know? Yeah. I mean, she didn't enjoy any of it, but she just, she just like literally gritted her teeth and got through it so that she could know what had happened and not be wondering and assuming, you know, it was worse than it was or whatever. Um but I warned her and I told her, you know, and I could have not told her, but I, I didn't. A big thing for me and for us is just not having any secrets in our relationship. You know, it's like secrets will destroy you. You can have your privacy, but when it has to be a secret, that means that's something you're afraid for the person to find out or you don't want them to know. And, and it's the kind of thing you think it'll ruin the relationship or whatever. Secrets are, are toxic. Privacy is necessary. And like finding the line between privacy and secrecy is like, that's something that I'm really paying a lot of attention to these days. Um, so, you know, I didn't hide from her what I had done. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't breakup worthy actions, you know. Yeah. And she wasn't there. But, like, I'll tell you something. I'm really torn about it in bringing her to the John Reap show because I think I need to do this stuff. And she can't be there for it, you know. Better to ask for forgiveness, my friend. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm asking you. This will be permission all the way. No, I'm not, no, no. not going to put her through that. I love her too much. Like, this is it for me. This is, unless she breaks up with wow. me, this is the woman I'm going to marry. And, you know. Wow. And, uh, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this, <laughs> this is it for me. And I don't want to. See, it's interesting you talk about secrets and privacy and everything. Um, I've been with my wife now 27 years we've been together hmm. between marriage and dating and everything else. And, um, you know, I'm a very complicated person. I, I deal with depression, um, borderline PTSD uh, for some things that have happened in my life. Um, but yet right now everything's going so well, right? I've closed down the anchor that was, you know, Having, I had a bar and it was just absolutely killing me to do that with everything else. Now I have so many different things going on with my radio show and column and being the director of the Abbey Vaux Opera House and the city and everything um, that's going so well that I've seen myself opening up a little bit more. Mm. It's actually, I don't want to say, but I, I see myself not feeling like I have to hide from what's going on in my life because I am a big, I, the one real negative I have with all the relationships, friendships, whatever, is I tend to keep a lot bottled, bottled up of what, what I put on. It's interesting. I used to really take my emotions out on social media and everything. Hmm. And I realized, of course, that doesn't help. So I've really bottled everything up. And I have a problem of running away rather than confronting what my issues were even when you and I had our issues and we don't have right. to revisit that whole land we can, but it's like, okay. no, 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 that's okay. We don't have to, but just so it you would know, make like good, it would make good podcast. It's, it were, we, we've come, a, we've come full circle in our friendship. We so have. it's not an unimportant piece of our story. So if it wants to be talked about, just so you know, it's okay with me. No, that's okay. Yeah. But like when you and I had our, our, uh, you know, I won't even say disagree. We just were, we had a timeout. We had a timeout. <laughs> we'll call it that. I mean, 
I would have rather just run away than confront any kind of problems I have with people. Yeah. Until and that's not healthy because then it festers, festers, and then it blows up at some point. Right. Like you know, you were um, such a. As much as we didn't talk for what, like over a year, year and a yeah. half, maybe. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, I always felt like I preach forgiveness and understanding, and I wasn't very good at practicing it because mm-hmm. of the fact that no matter what the story was or our versions, and, and we've talked about it, we don't have to revisit every little bit, but you know, you were such a good person when Spanky passed away to, to text me and mm-hmm. You know, I was already going, that was one of the toughest couple of weeks of my life, not just because of what was going on with Spanky. I had a couple other things majorly messing with my head. Right. Um, and I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Bye, Jason. You know, and then for you to invite me to be on your show and everything else, I was like, I looked at my wife and I was just like, I can't not like this guy, you know, and he's being such the bigger man right now. <laughs> and I'm such an asshole. And she says, you are. And uh, you need to address that. And so that was when I said, these are all my problems. All right. Just hear me out, you know, and then it was all good. It's like one of those things, you know, I'm very good at listening to people's problems and helping them. I'm very bad about dealing with my own. Yeah. But that's, I think, true. It's like a lot of people that give advice and and, um, a lot of people that love to tell people how to live their lives and advice, advice. And like posting memes on Facebook, uh, self-help memes and everything are the ones whose lives are the most out of control. Right. You know, I think that's the truth. Like my mother, I love her dearly, but she will, everything's either guilt trip, advice or suggestion and this, that, this, 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 this. But yet it's mainly because her life is so out of control. She needs to feel like she has that control over somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's the Jewish way. Yeah. But there's, there's a whole Jewish. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. You know, um, but uh, yeah, no, you were, you're, listen, we've all dealt with that, you know, yeah. but I'm very thankful that we have become friends again. Me too. Because, uh, you know, it, it, what you did was pretty awesome. You are very good. You, you, you've, our friendship has improved because of it, but also I, I've noticed just changes in you all the way around. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know, you're a better comic, you're better, you're easier to talk to now. You don't seem quite as um, egotistical or, or like, I think you've become kind of humbled over time. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, comedy will do that to you if you let it. It really will. Know? Yeah. I mean, um, I just wanted to let you complete your cycle of compliments before I responded, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Are you absolutely. done? Have you yeah. said all the nice things that no, you're let me, let me go the next hour of talking about why we love Jason Shoulder. <laughs> that would be so refreshing. <laughs> right? <laughs> we're, we're not doing a roast. I'm going to bring all the comedians in talking to them about how the, awesome Jason is. The Shoulder. one nice thing they have to say about me. That would take 10 minutes we get back to the regular podcast. No, absolutely. Um, uh, well, first of all, I mean, thank you for saying that. Um, I think... Uh, I hope I've I hope I've evolved as a comic and as a person through comedy. 
I know you're letting me do the John Reap show, and I appreciate it. And my, you know, and I'm then like you're fucking done. I know. So I'm like I'm dead in this town. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I do owe you definitely uh, a spot in Abbeville after what you went through last time. Oh, I had so much fun last that time. That was funny though. Yeah, because we we'll revisit. Time. But basically, there were kids that showed up to this show that we didn't know we're going right. to. Yeah. and they asked you to be clean, and it was like literally was kid the lights clean, were going, I had to be kid clean. The lights like, were yeah. going down. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, just. Do 10, 15 minutes or whatever you want to do. You can't be dirty though. Yeah. And then you went out and you did crowd play and a few jokes. And it, you did, I think, I couldn't have done what you did for 10 or 15 minutes. And I think it was so appreciated. So we got to have you back there definitely well, to actually you. be you again. Well, I mean, I'll be happy to. But if I ended up <laughs> having to do that, that was one of the most fun nights I had on stage. I mean, it was like I just went out and dealt with the situation. And the fact that I was able to be funny, be entertaining, be appropriate for what was needed for that room yeah. for 15 minutes on the fly. Shows a lot. You know, it, yeah, I mean, it showed me what I'm capable of as a comic and like, and, and that to me is, is pretty important. And one of the initial questions I was wanting to ask about and have you elaborate on, we've been kind of doing it indirectly is like, and you said it nicely about me so we can start it there, but I want to branch it out. It's like, what I've found about myself is that when I first started doing comedy, I had a tremendous sense of entitlement. I really thought it was funny. I thought I was better than I was. Yeah, and, you did. Uh, <laughs> I no, love you, but yeah. you. I know, but I yeah, didn't. I thing, did too. That's I've the thing that. about We've being new is you don't know. Right, exactly. You, know, you don't know. You've had all these thoughts. Also, you've had all these thoughts bottled up inside for years. And you're finally getting on stage to say them. And so you think that you've been hilarious the whole time and just no one's had a chance to hear your voice yet. And now they're hearing it and they should love it. And God forbid you get laughs your first few times on stage, which I did. You start to actually believe you're good. Sure. You know, and you go up and maybe you do better than some of the veteran comics on Exactly. An, on yeah. an occasional night. Yeah. And, you know, then you think, well, I'm better than something. No, you're not. Like Steve Martin was, he said something great. He's like, anyone can be great. But not everyone can be good night after night after night. Like, that's the difference, you know. And, and he's okay. And he's, he's he's just all right. Yeah, he's yeah. done all right. He's done uh, okay as a comic. So I thought, you know, that I, I, I took that with me. So I think the things that have humbled me have been, you know, being blasted on Facebook. That wasn't fun. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But it did humble me. Um, it also put it traumatized me. And that's not worth it, you know. Um, and then... Uh, also producing because when you produce shows you have a sense of what goes into the show of course so when you somebody invites you to do their it. show yeah it's a lot easier to just feel grateful and and as opposed to just entitled and and to know how expensive it, it is to produce a show and how much time and money and effort goes into it i mean i probably put i probably loan my comedy business a thousand dollars a month yep you know, and you it's going to be cheap. a while before I get that back. Yeah. You know, and and every once in a while I'll have a show that's successful. But if it's successful, maybe I make a few hundred dollars, you know, like. Sure. That's still not a thousand dollars a month. Right. And, you know, I just took a gig the other day to do a show that's, you know, 90 minutes from my house for 50 bucks. Yeah. And part of me thinks that and I, t I texted a couple people to ask them, I'm like, should I take this show or not? And. And then I just knew that my heart wanted to take the show. So I ultimately said yes. But there was a piece of me that felt like that's I'm worth more than that at this point. But OK, so when you get down to the very dollar of it, though. Right. 
there's the money's important. Don't get me wrong. And that's what, especially we kind of do it full time, right? Whether it's promoting, directing, performing, whatever. But on the other hand, there is a, there's not a dollar figure you could put on the experience sometimes of what you do. Right. You know, like I've had shows where I've made a hundred bucks and been the happiest person in my life. And I've had shows where I've made a thousand dollars and it was like miserable. Right. I mean, I get what you're saying. You know, I invested a lot how opening the artists and everything else, um, which was, you know, I, I, a lot of mistakes I've made, but I learned a lot about myself, but now it's gotten to a point where I've learned a lot and it's rare. I don't make money on a show. And if I think that there's one bit of chance, I don't make money on show. Nope. Not for me. It's just the way it is. But you, you said something um, really interesting about when you uh, first go in front of a crowd and you think you're, I think we all get into this because we think we're, we're, we're funnier than the next guy. Right. You know, I can remember the first time I went on stage 13 years ago, I went and emceed it at uh, side splitters in Tampa. And the reason I got into it was because last comic standing had just become a big thing or it was longer than 13, 15 years ago, whatever. Um, and I saw a lot of these comics and thought I was funnier than them. Right. You know, I remember the first year Dat Fan was the winner. Nothing against Dat Fan. I didn't find him funny. I felt like he went up, did Asian jokes for 10 minutes that every other Asian comic has done a thousand times over. And um, I thought I could be funnier than these guys. You know? Right. I actually, were you? And, no, not the first. <laughs> well, actually, okay, so the first time I was ever on stage, um, like I said, I'd never done an open mic or anything like that was um, I took a class at Side Splitters, and they called me one night out of the blue and said, we want you to come host the show. Can you do five to seven minutes? Now, literally, I maybe five minutes of material at the most. I go, yeah. And they go, well, we had three MCs that can't make it. So, And I was working right across the street from the comedy club. So I'm like, I'll come. And I was like, my heart's like beating like crazy. Because yeah. little did I know, uh, the this, the headliner there was a guy named Tommy Blaze out of Florida. Tommy had the place sold out. So my first time on stage is in front of a sold out 300 person crowd wow. at Side Splitters in Tampa. I did, I think, as well as somebody that had five minutes of material could have done. You know, I mean, yeah, there were a few that I was like, oh, that joke didn't work. And then there were a few like, I mean, you know, my Yahtzee joke. I right. do it every time. And that was my opener and it killed everybody was, I was like, Oh, I'm good at this. Right. And then of course it's like humbling. It's like, Oh, these jokes aren't going well after that. But even Tommy said, if that was your first time on stage, that was pretty good. He says I've worked, but then, um, but we all get into thinking that we're funnier than the next person or, or you've heard this before. Oh, all my friends think I'm hilarious. Right. You know, you've heard that a million times. That's what got me on stage. Your friends thought you yeah, were everyone told me how funny I was, and I went on stage to prove to them they were wrong. Yeah, you know, I was like, you don't understand how hard that is. It's tough, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make an ass of myself to show you how hard stand-up is, and you'll realize I'm not as funny as you think I am. But I did okay. I did well enough to be bitten by the bug, and I just haven't looked back. Like it's it's. But comedies. some of the funniest comics we know are not funny off stage. Well, I know that we also. By the time we meet them, they're jaded, like. When they got on stage, they might have been funnier in real life. Like I knew, I meet a lot of comics who almost—they're like marathon runners who they—they they don't want to run, right? If it's not a race, exactly. You know, because it's like they got to save their energy. And I meet a lot of comics who want to save their funny for the stage. 
I, for me, I'm just like, you should always be exercising. You're funny, but it's like, but I'm a crowd work guy. Like I'm actually a really a writer guy too. Like I really love the writing. I love writing too. That's why my column, I love writing my column. Yeah. Because to me, I like that form of expression where I'm not under the, the stage light sometimes and I can just be myself and, and cause it's easier to write than it ever is to learn to perform a, a joke. Well, it you depends know? on who you are. For me, performing is easier. Like, you really? Know, yeah. God, I'm such a better writer than performer. I wish I'm not saying I'm a better performer. I wish I was a better performer. No, you are a good performer. You, you know how to carry yourself. You know, when you're on that stage, like Jason shoulder is that guy that kind of walks around with that stoic presence of, you know, yeah, I'm funny, you know, whatever. And, um, no, you more than and probably anybody I work with um, at at our level. I, yeah. I when I say our level, I mean you know feature MC. We're not headliners. No, no, right, or whatever, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know how to carry yourself better than almost anybody. You've seen me where I'm kind of the fidgety, nervous one-liner guy, and you've seen me where I'm the monologue. Let's talk about why it's funny that I'm Jewish and live in the mountains. You know that kind of thing. So. Um, but you haven't changed your presence. You know what your presence is on stage. And I think that it says speaks volumes as far as you as a comic. Hmm. I mean, you do that. Jason Allen King's very good about that. You see Jason a hundred times yeah. and he's still funny and he still carries himself the same way. Ariel Robinson, who I book a lot and I love Ariel. Yeah, that. she's good. She gets that. And then, you know, there's some of us that really change the way we are and that is a it's the hardest thing to learn so i I wish i was a better performer than writer well see i don't i mean i I appreciate all the nice stuff you said and i do feel like i'm comfortable on stage but i don't feel like i'm good at performing i actually hired an acting coach and we never got around to the acting part we just ended up working on my writing and trying to get to know each other and get to know me who i'm trying to be but um i hired someone to help me be more expressive and more because I would see all these comedians get a lot of laugh miles out of act outs and facial expressions and things I just don't think I do very much or do very well and then I started to think and I still think I could use that work but um, a booker in Charlotte said to me because I asked her to do 10 minutes on her show and she said I'll let you do five I'm like I'm doing 10 on another show she said yeah I don't think you have you're, you're too low energy to do 10 minutes on this particular show there's like 60 comics. The audience isn't going to want to sit through 10 minutes of you, you know? And I was like, okay. I mean, it was a hard thing for me to hear, but I really took it in. And I said, I said, I'm trying, I'm working on trying to be higher energy. And she said, don't, don't, you can't, don't change who you are. Just be better at being you. Like, like she said, just keep getting better at being you. Not, not be better. She wasn't insulting me. She's, she's a fan. Like she's a mm-hmm. supporter. A uh, fan might be a strong word, <laughs> but she's a supporter. And, um, but that was really good advice, like not to try to be different than I am. Uh, so I've really worked on the thing I think that's changed the, that I think has changed the most about me on stage is I look like I'm having more fun than I used to. I think I smile more. I think I'm lighter. Um, I do way more crowd work than I initially did because I was afraid to do it because I was afraid to, I was afraid to get in over my head too soon. Like I almost ended up in a crowd work situation 30 seconds into my first set ever. Right. You know, and I remember consciously backing out of it and saying I would be an idiot 
to take on the audience my first time on stage. But probably I should have because that's where I shine. Well, you the know? second night you did that was Sid Davis. Yeah, it was Sid Davis. Yeah, 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 yeah. The I first know. night, I remember because it was you and Nick Taylor. Right. If I remember right. It was, yeah. Because I met you guys at the same time. And the first night, I'll be honest, was kind of Nick's night. For whatever reason, he came out, did his corny little one-liner things yeah. and talking. You know, he's got that presence of almost like I'm halfway stoned on stage yeah. and talks about honey-baked ham. And I remember that whole thing. And just the ending of his thing when he says, everybody just say cookies. Do you remember that? <laughs> everybody just say cookies. He's like, thank you. Good night. And, you know, it was kind of like, and that was his night. And then huh. the second night was not as much his night. I don't think the crowd got him as much. But you were, like, doing a little more of the crowd play and everything else. And you were you were definitely feature material that night, huh. I thought. Oh, thank you. You know, everything. But no, I noticed that about you, your your material. And, and you also stand closer to the crowd than you used to. Yeah. Which yeah. makes you a lot more likable, interactive, like, hey, I'm one of you guys. I'm yeah. not going to stand back here and just tell jokes. That's interesting, yeah. No, the last the last two times I've seen you, uh, when you performed at the Artisan, and when you performed in Abbeville, of course, you had that lip in the stage in Abbeville, but you stand closer to the stage, and I just noticed like your eye contact was more like, I'm with you guys. Yeah. Nice. Stay with me here. Yeah. So um, definitely improved. You know, uh, that's a great thing to do. So, well, I mean, I appreciate that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm in spite of joking about, it, I'm not looking for compliments, but um, <laughs> sorry, but, but I will take them. He, he's, um, he's paying me after yeah. the show. Yeah, well, like, this is going to cost me boy. $5 a um, compliment. I'm up to $112. Well, wait, $110. Sorry. <laughs> right uh, so, so what's your experience to yeah. finally ask the question I've been circling around for 90 minutes is sorry. No, no, you don't have to apologize. I like being distracted by things. Uh, and by the way, that's, this is My going ADD. exactly the way this is supposed to go. Okay, like, good. Yeah. But this is a really important question that I want other people to hear the answer to and coming not from me. Okay. What's your experience working with the pro professional people, which is how we got into the Sid Davis, Julius yeah. Goggins conversation working with them versus working with people like me and feel free to say whatever you want about how I was in the beginning. Even you already kind of did, but you know, it's like, okay, say more. Um, and you know, and like the strata, because I'm around a lot of people who are, you know, five and under meaning five years and under yeah. on stage. And I think that's a really pivotal time for comics. I think a lot of comics don't make it past six months. A lot of comics don't make it past two years and a lot of comics don't make it past five years. Yeah. I think, five years is a pretty important time in a comic's life. If they're not where they wanted to be, they may not continue. And it may be a good time to decide not to continue or change something about themselves. But what's it like working with people at these different levels? Like that's, that's well, what I want. Yeah. Do. Cause I work with people at all different levels for sure. I mean, um, you know, working with emo Phillips, who's 45 years in now he's been doing wow, 45 years. Um, you know, and then you have your, uh, a lot of guys from the comedy zone stuff that have been doing it seven to 15 years, somewhere in there. And then the guys, the experience is different with all of them. And I think it's very much, I can tell a lot from the first conversation I have with them as to how it's going to go down. And, um, you know, it, it's weird. I've, and whether it's been, working with somebody who is extremely difficult to work with like Gallagher or whether it's somebody very easy to work with, uh, like emo, um, you know, 
something like emo is has gone gone a long way because of the fact that uh, he listens to what, what I say, not my advice by his stretch of the mouth, yeah. but he'll say, "How do you see this show going?" Or in his voice, "How do you see this show going, Mike?" <laughs> Let's talk about that because, truthfully, I just want to make sure everybody has a good time, you know. Um, but it's. Uh, it's different for everybody and what you get. You know, I used to get very starstruck when I started doing this with mm. some of the people that we've worked, that I've worked with. And now it's not like that anymore. Now they're just truthfully, they're colleagues of mine or they're, you know, it's like it, you learn that quickly. And Joel and Pace and I have talked about this. They're not your, your friends right off the bat. If it develops into a friendship, great. But, you know it's business at the end of the day, you might have a drink and have a great time with them and get a picture and throw it on Facebook and be like, Hey, look who I get to hang out with. And that's cool. Right. But at the end of the day, it's business and they're all different. Yeah. Sometimes the more, um, uh, the bigger name, the tougher they are to deal with because they have their own way of doing things. So when you mentioned the Julie Scoggins and again, I haven't worked with her, but if she says I could be there on time, I could be there at this time and be fine. Yeah. Pam's kind of the same way, but again, if they're a pro and they know what they're doing, then I'm totally cool with that yeah. because of the fact they've been doing it a long time. I'm not cool with the fact when somebody who hasn't been doing it long time thinks that they could just do what they please. I will tell you right now, if a, if a guy who's at our level um, shows up late, they're done. I'm right. being, being serious. I've had a, I think one of the hardest things when we talk about social media is sometimes seeing somebody get a lot of praise on Facebook that you know has done you wrong or um, isn't, they don't know the whole story with these people sometimes. Right. And those are the, sometimes the people that, um, and we tend to really hate that. But on the other hand, uh, my those are the kind of people that I think people will learn about in time. There's a lot of comedians that have been blackballed from a lot of areas because of their behavior, whether it's they call the shots or their egos or anything else. But some of the people that I've dealt with at those high levels too are the nicest, easiest people to work with. You know, uh, I did a show last year with uh, uh, Steve Heitner who played Banya on Seinfeld. Oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah, Gold, yeah, yeah. Jerry Gold. We did shows together. And he is a super nice guy. We did this Festivus celebration. And we were very direct with each other in the way we did things. And he was really easy and really funny and nice and thankful and everything else. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of times the people that are just getting in the headline or just making that next jump right. are the hardest people to deal with sometimes because their ego is just sometimes not in check. It's just the way it is. You know, yeah. um, even some of my very good friends who I book a lot, I've noticed their attitude has gotten a lot different Man. from when they were very humble as an open mic or humble as an MC or whatever. Um, that's my hardest thing to deal with sometimes. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's been my experience. I mean, if they want to call their own shot, you better damn live up to it. That's all I'm saying. Right. Because there wasn't a time when. You know, I know we both were close to Spanky and, you know, um, there wasn't a time that guys like Spanky and those kind of people ever were like that to us. I mean, no, to me, he was a prince. if you told Spanky to be there at seven, he was there at seven, six forty-five. I'm like, where do you need me? What do you want? How yeah. much time you want? What kind of material you want me to do? You know, 
Uh, of course, Spanky was very easy to work with all yeah. the way around because he stayed after. I loved him as a big teddy bear kind of guy. Um, but, you know, I don't deal with a lot. If if they want to call their shots, most of the headliners that call their shots pretty much back it up. Hmm. Yeah. That's why. That's what I've done. Now, if a headliner asks me to uh, perform like in Abbeville or someplace like that where it has to be pretty conservative and they're not a conservative comic, I don't book them and, you know, they get upset sometimes over it and they're like, oh, I could do clean and whatever. It's like, well, I've never seen you do that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's like, uh, but um, I don't know that necessarily it's it's at each level that, I don't think it's necessarily a level thing. I think it's just sometimes in their mind. I think a lot of comedians think that they, they're bigger than they are. And that is where the problem comes in. And we've dealt with that. Yeah. You know, somebody thinks I'm better than the next person or I shouldn't be an MC. I should be a feature. Or I, I can headline now, you know, okay, fine. What show me. And, and our job, my job is to sell tickets at the end of the day. So, because I'm a promoter and everything else. So, um, that's number one on my list is, right. is, is am I going to put on a good show? They'll sell tickets. What time they show up? I really don't care. We've started shows late, you know, because a comic has been late or something like that. If they put on a good product, I freaking don't care. Yeah. You know, that's it. Did the people leave getting their money's worth? And did I go home with a check? That's what I'm concerned about. So you're more concerned about the end result than the, than the experience of working with a person. Uh, or you say those th- basically those things have to line up. Like if they're difficult but awesome, it's fine. If they're easy but less awesome, it's fine. Okay, so you went to the Gallagher show yeah. in Tryon. Yeah. Okay, that I did. And it's not a secret that he is very difficult to work with. Okay. Yeah, he I've, is very difficult to work with. Um he has his own way of doing things. He doesn't like every he didn't say much nice to me before the show and you know, whatever. Um did you enjoy this show? I mean, I had fun at the show. I was, it was, it was, if you had liked him. Yeah. If you liked the fact that he's a little bit racist, misogynistic, very conservative, everything else, then you're fine with his performance. Right. And you left happy. And literally I made a little bit of money on the show, yeah. but the people that left other than like my family and some of the people that thought he was this hippie liberal from the seventies, you know, whatever. Right. Um, the people that follow him love the show. And at the end of the day, if they love the show, the experience of me working with somebody like that takes a back seat. Mm. It really does. But then there are people that I've had amazing experiences with, you know, that, I mean, you know, I don't mean to bring up emo again, but it's like how many people could say that they get to perform with their childhood idol in comedy? You yeah, know, it's pretty, sure. it's pretty amazing. And we've had a great relationship. I still talk to him once a month. Um, you know, but no, I just, uh, I think that's the problem comes in is when somebody is not as big as they think they are. Yeah. Well, I find that, uh, and I want to be, I just going to say this out loud. I hope when I was describing Julie Scoggins before I didn't describe her as difficult cause she's anything, but no. she is super like, Oh, I've she's a that. delight. Yeah. I've yeah. Yeah. Great. And she just taught me that what she taught me was that the professionals were the last people I needed to worry about. She said, you just tell me, tell us when to be there. We'll be there. You need to worry about the host and you need to, I'm like, I'm the host. <laughs> I'm like, well, then she said, you definitely need to worry about the host. Right. But uh, no, you need to worry about the host. You need to worry about the feature. 
you know, the headliner will, they, we will show up and do our job. You, you can take us off the table of your concerns, you know, for the most part. And she was definitely right. Like, you know, everyone I found, everyone on, on her level, you know, she's a 20 year road dog comedian. Like they're all like that. Like they just, they know what they're, they know more about what they're there to do than, than I did for sure. You know, like, but uh, then what happens when that goes south? Hmm. Um, I did a show with Molly Ringwald at the orange peel. We did, you know, screenings of two of her movies and she didn't show up for any of the three meetings we were supposed to have before the show. And we went on stage totally blind. Um, I had no idea of how I was going to interview her, what questions to ask anything. And the second show, first show did well. Second show did not go well because I asked some questions. She didn't want to answer. Oh, she did kind of, but, um, so it was kind of like one of those things. It's like, here I have a mega star from the 80s I'm interviewing on stage and she hasn't shown up for meetings. Her agent says she's just going to show up to the show. We have, and then of course we got in an argument beforehand because of how the show was going to go. Um, so I'm fine with somebody calling their shots as long as they have an understanding of what they're doing. Somebody like Julie Scoggins or a professional comedian, they know what they're going to do when they right. get on stage. You know, Julie is a pro. Uh, Pam Stone is a pro. Pam usually shows up 15 to 20 minutes before showtime. You know, they're pros. They get what they're their job is to do. Right. Um, it's sometimes the lower level people, their features, MCs, tech people, and everything else that make sure that we, you know, basically the headliners, once you say, she's been on this, she's been on that, ladies and gentlemen, give a big welcome for it, and that's your job. Right. Let her do her 50 minutes and be done. As far as the experience, I think if it's a bad experience, you just don't go back to it. I've been very fortunate in three years. I don't think I've had a show that has absolutely been a nightmare. Hmm. I've had people walk out of a show before, but I've never, I don't remember ever having a show where literally nothing went right. The comedians were not funny in the least. Um, I just haven't had that, luckily. But I'm sure that, knock on wood, my time's coming at some point because yeah. every comedian's going to have a bad night at some point. But uh, most of the headliners have lived up to what their their job is, I think. I mean, every show that I've gone to of yours has been hilarious. Like, Thank everyone's you. been good. Um, Sean Jones was one of my favorite. You He's let me great. open for him recently. Yep. And he was super complimentary about my comedy. He sent me, I have, I have it in writing. Like he texted me or whatever, you know, he's like, dude, you're a really funny writer. And this, I was like, can I put that on my website? He's like, absolutely. You know, he was super generous. Like, yeah. So there was this other thing that I find with people, which is interesting is like, um, early on people are very covetous about their jokes, about their whatever. Later, people become more generous. And uh, someone like, uh, there's a guy named Billy D. Washington out of Houston. He's amazing and really, uh, really generous. He's part of the Black Pack that came here um, a few years ago. They performed mm -hmm. at, uh, that's what they call themselves, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's not me referring to a bunch of black comedians. Uh, they call themselves the Black Pack. So we're the Jew crew. Yeah, we're the Jew it. crew. We're the, the Jew black crew. Pack. The we black should, pack. we could open for them. That's right. And uh, got it. And uh, and yeah, the, he came. He did this really funny show. These three guys, and they came to the open mic, and they performed at the open mic. Yeah. You know, because they're now to me, those are comics to the core, right? right? 
because they're getting paid gobs of money to perform at Diana Wortham on Friday night. Mm -hmm. And on Thursday night, they perform for free at Pulp because there's an open mic and they just want to be with the local comics. They just want to hang with the local comics. And I remember telling him, I was like, oh, I'd love to come to Houston. He's like, oh, we got a great open mic scene. And I said, I, well, I don't want to come there and do mics. I want to come there and do shows. And I could feel him be like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> you know, like not in a bad way. He's yeah. still, he and I still communicate. He likes me, but he was like, it's like, dude, that's you. You're, you shouldn't have that attitude. I could, I could sense from him, and he was right, by the way. I could sense from him like, I don't think that should be your attitude. You know, right? Like, um, and 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 he wasn't. He he didn't look down on me or anything, but I could just feel in that moment. But he continued to be a friend and a mentor after that. You know, and uh, and I tried to do this show with him in in Texas, which so couldn't make it happen in time. Um, but he's like, he's really good. He's got a new album coming out that he's going to do based on his Facebook posts and he's calling it the Washington posts. Oh, great. Yeah. Which I is like such that. a great name for it, for it. And, uh, so I can't wait till, till his album's out, but he's a really neat guy. Um, and it's great. I'm, I'm actually in the studio right now recording an album. Oh, that's right. I, so I wanted to hear about that. So. Yeah. You're, is this a comedy album? It is. And you, I know it's You're it's doing it in the studio? Right? No, 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 yeah. no. It's more like you're doing it in the studio. That's what's interesting. I am. Um, so uh, there is, uh, I became friends with a musician okay. that loves my little one-liners. I post and all this silly stuff. And um, he said he wanted to record me. And I said, okay. And uh, I've been to a studio a few times. We're working on some stuff. But it's going to be very interesting. Um Yes, it's a it's a studio album. And are they going to laugh track it, or I mean, they're how are they? Get, they're going to laugh track it. That's laugh track. It. You know, what would be a cool uh, well, thing. I to should do? say this: they're laugh traffic tracking parts of it. Okay. Um, I'm also doing two parody songs on it. Okay. Um, one I'm I haven't finished. Um, I haven't finished right, but I'm very excited about it, and um, it's a Guns N' Roses parody. And I'm also going to have a couple of interviews that I've done, um, on my live cast with, um some people that people know okay and, uh, so it's gonna be a variety as well as some comedy it's gonna be some one-liners some uh some monologue everything else and so yeah i'm and it's called you know i have no beef with vegans which i found oh, out that's um, a great name thank you but what's funny about it is we've talked about how we write a joke and somebody else has done the same joke. We, yeah, you and I have a, we, we have, have an a, identical have joke. joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, and we, we tease each other about the joke, but, um, I found out of course, having a line like that, that's, it's been done before. It's not like I made up that I, I didn't make up that line, but I, when I actually typed it in, there are a couple of comics that have done uh, that line. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we're doing that. And, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun and we're really having a good time recording it. So I'm very excited about it. What about like if you played the recording in front of live audiences and recorded their laughter, like, you know, and so get some genuine laughter recorded for it. Would that work? I don't know. I'll have to ask him. That would be a neat thing to I do. Know it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, do you really want to do a laugh track kind of thing? And you know, I know that it's, but I think it's uh, I think it's the way to go for my first album. Okay, I do. I I think it's more me on a mic doing what I do, because I'm funnier 
when people don't see me. <laughs> yeah, I, hate be, I hate to be that blunt, but I mean... It's good to know yourself. Yeah. No, no, You no, have no. a sense of humor made for radio. I do. Exactly. <laughs> right? Right. And I so, kill it on the laugh track. I do. I'm awesome. <laughs> it's like singing in the shower, right? But um, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now, as well as, of course, you know, the column and, and my radio show comes out in February. So that's pretty exciting, too. What's the radio show called? Uh, Mike on the Mic. Mike on the mic. Okay. Yeah. And where, where is, the, is it a, is it going to be on, you said it might be syndicated, right? It's or is that the FM article? on FM radio. On FM radio. It's on FM radio in South Carolina, um, outside of Greenville. Okay. And uh, it's going to be a comedy call-in radio show. And I have to play country music, which is hilarious because it's like old-timey country. Right. And I love old-timey country, actually, like Hank Williams and all those guys. But I have to be the first Jewish person to do a country music show in, in South Carolina. That that there's no way. There's no know? way. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Right. That's like, and I've said this before. Like when I did their Hogs and Hens festival out there, and they asked me to see it, and I, I said like it's the first time in history a Jewish man has been asked to, you know, to judge pork in a small right. town in South Carolina. <laughs> you know, um, but it's it's gonna be a comedy call and radio show. We're gonna have guest comedians on there, which I'm sure you're gonna be invited at some point, and. Um, we're going to have a topic where people can call in and and just we have a topic, whether it's funniest first date, worst Christmas gift, whatever. And then we're also going to do like a segment with kids like kids. Uh, uh, kids say the darndest thing kind of. Yeah. Take off. yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to play the best country music in South Carolina. So is it going to be like. Let's say a comedian comes in and does a show. Are they going to be on for that show? Or are you going to record those segments and those segments might show up over different shows? No, they're going to come in. They're going to do. We're going to do it the day of their shows. Okay. So if oh, the day if that Sean, they're performing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I when you the, have me headline in Abbeville in 10 that's years, it. that's the day I get well, on the radio show? it might not be just headlines. It no, might no, be just, features just or teasing, MCs. Because yeah. there are going to be headliners that are going to be like, I just want to sleep that day. You know, yeah, I don't right. want to bother doing that kind of thing. But then there are like, there are some that I would love to have. Because we have a good lineup there coming for comedy in Abbeville. Abbeville's a great audience. They it love is. it. I mean, we have Sean Jones. We got Al Ernst, Valerie Storm, uh, Derek Tennant. We have James Gregory, the funniest man in America. We've got Emo coming. I mean, we've got we've got a great, great lineup there. That's so cool. So it's uh, and it has been kind of a crazy experience with the whole Abbeville thing. You know, you know um, what I I liken it to is when I invented my yoga product, Three Minute Egg. Um, People were like, oh, you should go to New York. There's so many yoga studios. You should go to LA, Chicago. I'm like, you know what? Nobody's interested in me there because all yep. the all the biggest rock star yoga teachers are available for free classes, you know? Yeah. Like I go to Colorado Springs and I go to St. Louis, Missouri, you know, like, um, and I, you know, I go to places where nobody else goes and they absolutely love it. I did a, I did a, a workshop, a sold out workshop in Wichita, Kansas. I had the time of my life, you know, and pretty good Thai food. Like, I mean, it's just, I like going places and this is what I think is true about Advil that nobody else goes Yep, because they're super appreciative. There's no movie theater there. There's no bowling alley. There's no nightclub. It's wow. the Abbeville opera house. So That's they it. have a, and they've never done comedy. They've had two comedians over the last 15 years before we got in there. They had Henry Cho and James Gregory. That's it. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. So for them to embrace and they're letting us be a little bit liberal on, on the humor is great. Right. You know, they, they do say, you know, no F-bombs if possible. But if one slips out, one slips out. 
but they do allow adult comedy, which I would have never believed when they first talked to me. Well, you know, they're softening too. I mean, they're starting to realize. um, Yeah. You know, and plus, I mean, (laughs) clean comics are more expensive. So it's like, it's really kidding. It's man, it's, I mean, that's, I wish, I wish I could be cleaner. You know, I just, these days. Stop beating yourself over that. You know, you, I'm not, I, I'm, you're fine. Be who you are. No, that's the thing. I'm, I know I've made friends with it. Like, I I don't mean like, I don't, um, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not like the thing that I've realized that's really been the last year is like, I need to be me on stage and I will build my audience. Right. And, and that started to happen. I mean, I just hosted my not quite kosher comedy show that I do every, every year. You were on the first one. You're going to be on the third one. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. Yes. I mean, I'm looking forward to being on. You didn't want to be on the second one. I asked no, no, you. No, no, yeah. no, no. I'm saying, yeah. I don't want to re- be reminded of that show. Cause of course the, the audience, that one lady booed me after the joke, she got offended by the Jewish joke. She got offended by And then after that, I was like, Oh God, this is going to be brutal. <laughs> well, but that comes with experience, man. You Absolutely. gotta like, you gotta know you're going to get booed on that joke. And then you win them back with the next one. I mean, I have a bit that I've been doing. Yeah. Um, that's part of the stuff I can't do anymore. And and I, and I have this whole like section where I've now done it enough that I know exactly how the audience is going to respond. Right. Once in a while they respond and they don't, they don't turn against me as much as they should. Yeah. But I have this joke, which I know they're going to turn on me for. And then I say, I can feel you taking her side right now, you know, which they all laugh at. And then I insult the audience right after that, you know, oh my God. and it's, and it's, brilliant like it's just and and it's brilliant because i'm in total i'm totally confident about what i'm doing like yeah and then and then i go into the next thing that 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 they can't help but sympathize with me for it you know and so i am taking them and this is the first time i've ever done this like i'm kind of proud of this little piece of evolution Mm -hmm. as a comic where i am absolutely playing the audience like a marionette like i know exactly what i'm doing to them I know exactly how they're going to respond and I've already planned my next move and they just follow along exactly the way they're supposed to because they don't know that it's being done to them. And that's what's making you better every time you go up there. Yeah, that's like... Sean Jones is the master of that. No, yeah, but he never upsets people. He's just hilariously funny the He's whole time. But he knows no matter what he gets out of that crowd when he goes up on stage, he knows what his next move is. Oh, I see. There's yeah. nothing that really is going to throw him off his game. God, he's so funny. He's just like We have him in in Abbeville next month and he's 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 become just absolutely one of my favorite comics to book because he's just so good. You just you you, you can put him on stage and leave the building. Yep. And just come back in 50 minutes and he'll be wrapping up and it's like he's so damn funny. You, you know? know how I knew I was going to love Sean Jones and and this is kind of a love fest with him because I've booked him a few times now. The week he first performed at the Artisan, um, he called me three days before the show and he says, how are tickets? And I go, we sold eight tickets so far. Okay. A lot of comics would say, ooh, are we going to cancel or should we move the date? Sean's response was this. And I'll never forget. He says, well, I'm going to make eight people love me. Oh, that's great. And that was when I was like, this is my guy. Of course, we wound up getting about 50 or 60 people in the because a lot of people didn't know. And they he had that place just roaring, you know. But um, yeah, that's that's really great because I don't see that's the thing I haven't learned yet is I'm so wrapped up in my material. I don't know where my next move is going, you know, or what reaction. I know like I do a, a, 
couple jokes about Bernie Sanders. I do two Bernie Sanders jokes and two Trump jokes in my thing because I'm very down the middle of the road politically. I know right. we kind of have discussed that we're very different. That's okay. But that's okay. Uh, I do that, of You're course. You're not an extreme conservative. We're fine. No, <laughs> I'm know? not extreme conservative. Yeah. I'm not extreme liberal. I have thoughts on both sides that I, yeah. that I uh, support. I have but, thoughts on both sides. Just, yeah. you know. More thoughts on one side than the That's other. That's okay. <laughs> but like, um, there's a joke I do about Bernie Sanders that is a groaner joke. It yeah. just is. And I know exactly how that crowd's going to react. Yeah. It. And then uh, I always get the too soon line after it. But, um, and when I do, uh, you know, it's a very easy joke to play on. I know where I'm going with it. But you seem to have figured out how to do it pretty good, you know, and, and uh, that's great. I wish I could do it. You know what, dude? That's the open mics. That is that is going out and hitting the mic over and over and over again. That's just that is a stage time thing to the degree that I've got it. And I've been, I'll tell you what happened to me. Um, you know, I like to talk about how nobody loves me in Asheville, and it's fine. And for two years or more, maybe three years of going to the open mics. And granted, I would go inconsistently because I have a child and I travel and stuff. But I felt like I was there all the time. I felt like I was there enough I should be getting better spots. They put me up at the end of the night for two to three fucking years. Like, I never caught a break. Right. And It's clickish. And it's super clickish. And I remember I used to really resent it. And I finally just started going at 11. I'd show up at 11. And they're like, why are you showing up so late? I'm like, because you put me up late. I'm not going to sit here for three hours. You know, I got work to do. So I'll just, you're going to put me at the end? I'm not going to complain. I'll just come at the end. One day I showed up two minutes before the show ended. I did a bit on my guitar, you know, and I left. I knew I was going last. Another time I went up last and, you know, and everyone was talking. I was like, hey, I'm performing up here. And this guy who used to run the sound, he's like, dude, you're the last comic. And I said, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the first comic. And the seven people that were still there loved me, you know. I went up so late so often that I had to get good. Like I had to learn how to just... You know, it was blood out of a stone to get these people to laugh. They're burned out. They're exhausted. Most of them are homeless. Like the people who are still at the <laughs> open been, mic at yeah, 1230 a.m. downtown, right. they literally have nowhere else to be. Passed out or, yeah. And so, you know, so so that really made me stronger. At one point I realized, I was like, oh, this is making me a stronger comic. And I stopped complaining about the fact that I had shitty spots. And then uh, they opened this new room in town called Ben's Tune-Up. And yeah. it's, a, it's the, it's one of my favorite shows to do. And I used to say I've never had a bad night there, but I had a pretty off night there recently. Um, I went up after Cody who I, I love going up after Cody cause he kills every time and going up after Cody makes me stronger. But this time he did some of the best crowd work I've ever seen him do, which is what I always do in that room. And I couldn't just go up there and do more of what he did. So I tried to do material, but it just didn't work. And I just, I mean, I, it was as close to bombing as I've ever had in that room. And, um, but aside from that one night, I've, I've had to wrestle crowds and bring people in from the back and like always fill up the, I always make people sit up front so I can see them. And, and, you know, uh, and the host loves that I do that. Cause he, you know, he doesn't the bother. Host the, uh, the host is uh, baby George, whose name is real name is Riley Flynn, but his comedy name is baby George. He's a really good dude. Okay. Yeah. He's a really good dude. And, um, and he's he sort of looks like Steve Jobs as a young man, you know, uh, if he lifted weights. And um, he's just great. I just love I love Baby George. I always have. And he's he's a guy who used to leave the stage and yell at the audience and yell at them and like he he'd yell at every he yell at the host. He used to get so mad when he left. Um, and uh, one time when I when I was hosting, he's like, 
okay, I'm done. You can make fun of me like you do with everybody else. I was like, bro, I am not inner circle in this room. I even said on the mic, I'm like, I'm not the guy who's, you know, trust right. me, I'm with you. Like, yeah. I'm the only guy that people like less, more than they like you, you know, like, or whatever, less than they like you, whatever. Like, you know, um, and uh, so uh, anyway, he's got this room where I've just had to wrangle people and get their attention. And I've learned how to do that. So now when I go to rooms that are unruly, I have all these different ways of getting the room to pay attention to me, including, um, do you know Andy Sly? Yeah. Okay. I, I book Andy a lot. Yeah, yeah. he's fantastic. I like yeah. Andy. Yeah. I love Andy. And so, and he just produced, he's, or I don't know if he produced, but he sort of booked his first show and he called me because I put him on tons of stuff. And he took me to this town called Burlington, which is like past Greensboro. Yeah. And we ended up in this real hipster brewery, but like... Uh, Hillary had a show there that same night mm -hmm. in like the really nice brewery. And we were in the kind of more like funky brewery that had, you know, sports on, t on TV. They wouldn't turn off and stuff like that. He books me to headline, puts me up in the middle of the show. And which I was glad he did because that's when the most people were there. And I just like, I ended up doing 48 minutes because for 20 minutes, I couldn't get people to shut up. And I moved, I five minutes in, I asked the MC to give me more mic cord. And so I could walk into the middle of the room and stand am amongst all the people who wouldn't stop talking. Right. And and I did that. And finally, you know, after some time, people left. And then after about, I'd say like t literally 25 minutes in, I finally had the room's attention. I had 25 minutes I was, I was swimming upstream against these guys. But I did it. And the other comics were like, I've never seen any, I've never seen anyone do that before. Like, I've seen the best comics in the world. I've never seen them do that before. I was like, well, they don't have to. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> they when they, they get, get on stage, attention. people are listening, you know. Um, but uh, so, I th so I feel like, um, I mean, it's a nice thing of you to say, but I feel like I've really had the opportunities to work on that, you know, and to be put in just nightmare situations and claw my way out of them. And that's what's made me a stronger comic. Like, well, I think that's what I'm going to do in 2020. I think I'm going to start doing more open mics and come to the come to the mics and here's my advice, dude. Come to the mics in Asheville. No. Come to the mics in Asheville. No. Come to the mics in Asheville and just suck it up for a while. I'm telling you, just be present and do your thing and let people get a chance to know you and. Don't, you know, just like, but people do know me. That's the, no, thing. they don't. They think they know you. That's the thing. Well, they think they know you. A lot of them have worked with me. Right. And I, let's be honest. I'm not changing people's opinions and I don't care. I'll be, I, I really don't. Cause like I said, the people that have worked with me, uh, many times know what I'm about. Right. And they, I don't, I don't want to convince somebody of who I am. I don't want to do that. I am who I am. God, I sound like freaking Elmer. I am. <laughs> no, wait, no. Popeye says I am who I am. Sorry. Um, but you know how you said you are as a comic? I'm like as a promoter. I know what I bring to the table. I know what I do for people and whatever. Right. Um, I don't want people's... I don't have to prove something to somebody that I'm a good guy or that... Because some people I'm not, and that's okay. I'm all right. I'm not going to be everybody's... You know, I like giving people an opportunity and I hope they are appreciative sometimes. But when you say come to the open mics, um, 
it would be hard for me to go on stage at an open mic in Asheville and psychologically get myself into it knowing that there's a lot of bullshit crap about what's been said that and I'm not throwing everybody in the, I mean for all I know it might all be in my head it might be one or two comics feel that way and you know whatever but um I think if I do open mics it's gonna be more in the Greenville or Charlotte markets if a lot of people in, in Charlotte know who I am and or they whatever people in Asheville know who I am but I don't know that I'm ever gonna be accepted in the community and that's okay and i know you say that's not okay but it is okay it absolutely is okay i shouldn't have to i shouldn't have to prove myself to anybody of what i do i agree with you and that's not the reason i think you should come to Asheville. i kind of got sidetracked by that sorry it's okay no i did in my convincing you because you immediately said no i said no but (laughs) (laughs) no you can't say no fast enough The conversation was about helping you become a stronger comic. And part of that is going into adverse environments and thriving, like taking it on head on and, and like doing well in spite of who's in the room. So what you're saying is I should put myself out there as a comedian. Well, I think you should put yourself out there as a comedian and let people know that's what you do. Get out there, <laughs> get yeah. better. I'm not saying you're not good, but get, you're only going to get better. Like, yeah. And I, I, I'll be honest. I, I haven't, I've been doing theater for so long. It's like, I don't even know what to do at a club anymore. Yeah. I really don't. Well, it, all you have to do is be funny. It doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't matter, but there's a different no, but there's a different science to working a club as opposed to working a theater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, maybe I'm not, um, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different thing. It really is. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. And I'm probably going to underplay what I'm going to say. And I'm probably wrong a little bit, but ultimately I think funny's funny and it's going to work in either. If it's truly funny, it'll work in either environment. You're definitely right. Um, but you know, you're also talking about playing bar shows and doing, you know, they're not just, clubs even though they kind of seem like it they're not they're alt rooms you know and right, and right. so and that's got its own thing you got to figure out too um i just think play as many places as possible this is why i took this gig that's 90 minutes away for 50 bucks like i had this whole conversation with myself and with other a few other comics and friends and i just yeah. said should i take it and they all gave me this rational you know like pros and cons response and ultimately, I just said, you know, a year ago, I would have been thrilled to be offered 30 minutes or paid $50 for anything. Yep. And even though at this point, I feel that I'm worth more than that, this is what I'm being offered for this show. And I'm just going to say yes, because, you know, I mean, I've traveled to Charlotte for less money. Why would I not take this show? You know, like, yeah. um, and, and I'm the guy that, well, as far as I know, he thought of me first. It's very possible I was the 10th person he got to and no one else would do it for 50 bucks. Um, he's like, Oh, Jason will do it. But I actually think it's cause he saw me perform and liked what I did. And, and this is his budget. And I even thought about like, should I say, Hey, you know, I'll do it, but I'd really prefer a hundred. And a friend of mine's like, how are you going to say that and not sound like a dick? You know? So I just said, you know I what? I don't think that's bad. I, you don't, but you never know how it's going to come across. It's not like, I we, guess. we don't know each other that well. This me and this guy, you know, oh, okay. I just decided to give an enthusiastic. Yes. And, you know, I'll just go and do my best show. You know, it's like, 
that to me is part of being professional. Sometimes you make 50 bucks. Sometimes, I mean, one time I had a guy pay me $200 to go to Charlotte yeah. and do 10 minutes. And before he told me how much time I was doing, I said, you know, at some point I was like, cool. Um, you know, is this a paid show? And he's like, yeah, you'll get $200. I was like, am I headlining? He's like, you're a comedian. That's your role. And right, I was like, okay, right. well, how many minutes am I doing? He's like 10. I'm like, Jesus, man. Like, I mean, thank you. But that's crazy. I would have done it for 20. <laughs> you know, like I've done it for free. This is a cool show. Right. Like you're paying me $200 to do 10 minutes. This is a guy who's figured out a formula on this particular venue. And he makes money on the venue. He makes he makes most of his money managing talent in a much bigger capacity. Right. This is a show. It's in his backyard. He loves to do it. He likes to actually see the comics he works with. Takes them out to dinner. Gets a chance to do a one-on-one with them. They get paid to come to town. He's got this whole thing worked out. He makes a little money. All the comics make money and everybody loves him. And I mean, I just remember like, so I, you know, sometimes you get lucky, you get 200 bucks for 10 minutes. You in Abbeville, I mean, you got me 125 and a place to stay and, you know, to MC a show. I was thrilled. I was like, that's great, man. I'll do it. Of course I'll do it. You know, yeah. and you're paying me very generously for John Reap. And um, I, there's not a time I don't pay a comedian. Yeah, I just don't. I would never ask a comedian to work for free because if nothing else, they're at least using their gas and probably feeding a meal. Um, so, I mean, even when we were doing the artisan shows, even if the tips didn't add up to it, I always gave at least 30 bucks. Right. You know, unless somebody said, hey, can you put me on as a special guest when we've already had the lineup? Then I might say, hey, listen, you want to do it? That's yeah. on you. Right. But I, I mean, like, you know, and it gets higher, you know, I mean, um, there's a comedian I'm putting on one of my shows coming up. It's the most money she's ever made on a show. Hmm. But I was happy to do it for her because of the fact that, um, A, she's done a lot a few times for less money for me. Never once complained about what she got. What, and all's good. So, yeah. um, you know, you got to work up to that. Yeah, I think so, so too. And you don't start to get the higher paying gigs unless you show a good attitude on the lower paying gigs. That's it. And, and, that's exactly right. And that's what I've learned as a producer. And so that's who I've tried to become as a comic. And, um, I feel like, I feel like the best thing any comic can do for their career is to produce shows for a little while, right? Learn what it is to be on the other side of it. Learn how challenging it is to work with someone like yourself. <laughs> and, and then when you're on then when you're back on the comic side, don't be a dick, like make yourself a pleasure to work with and you will always have work. I'll tell you who's a great example, who's like my role model for that is Art Sturdivant. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Because, you know, I know that because Art says always be funny, never say, don't say no unless you have to or whatever his his little motto is. Um, yeah. He and always says yes enthusiastically and gratefully. He's like, I would love to do that. Thank you so much. No matter how shitty or good the opportunity is, he's always he just, he just expresses gratitude and... uh and it makes him someone everyone always wants to work with. He's one of the busiest comics I know. Yeah. And he'll drive anywhere for any amount of money. And it doesn't matter. We don't know how much money he's making. All we see is he's performing all the time. And and I start to realize, like, that's important, too. Like, well, let me just, you know, people are booking me in Statesville. No one knows until they hear the podcast that I did it for 50 <laughs> They don't know my rate's so shitty. But, you know, um, uh, I do th half an hour for 50, but I'll do 10 minutes for 200. That's, that's my rate. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
I, I just learned from him to be positive and to be grateful. And yeah, just, I know we just go up and uh, do our thing. I'm, you know, I've learned to be grateful for everything in my relationships with people, the, the, the yeah. quality relationships. And I feel that way about us. Like we've, we've seen, you know, <laughs> I mean, but I, I don't know if it's the worst either of us has to offer, but we've seen each other at not our best. Yeah. And we came through it. And that's what real friendships are made out of. You know, if you, if your friendship hasn't been tested, you don't really know how good it is. <laughs> I don't know. It's like friendship is like a burning point with me. So it's like, I know that sounds awful and I don't mean to me say that friendships aren't great, but somebody posted one of these stories, you know, that some bullshit source about, uh, you know, everybody has truthfully one or two good friends and everybody else really doesn't like you or whatever. And I went, wow. To, oh yeah. It was like, your friends really don't like you or something like that. And I, I posted and I said, um, really good friends. I said, no such thing. And I said, it's bullshit. And I said, because truthfully, everybody is, um, likes you for the time and something could change that overnight just because of my experiences with people. Right. Like, I don't feel like I have a lot of really, really, really good friends that I could just, um, any moment of the day call and talk about whatever I want and everything else. I have a, a few, you know, I do. And then I have a lot of friends and whatever, but, um, the whole best friends forever, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in that bullshit. I no. don't because things change over time. My view of friendship has definitely been skewed over the last few years. Well, you know, that's happened. But. I mean, you open this incredible club. You poured everything into it. Yeah. Um, what happened with it anyway? Just well, tell me the story of the artisan in a nutshell, if you don't mind. I mean, it of might what, not be an easy when, story. Of but, why we closed? Well, why you, I mean, I think it's kind of an interesting story how you opened it. Like, and right. then, and then, yeah, why did you close it? Like, what was the evolution? Well, the, I mean, we, we opened it when we first opened it, we wanted it to be a comedy club, right. but of course you just can't do comedy enough nights of the week to make and, it profitable. Flat rock. People, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we were going to two nights a week. We were doing comedy and then we started doing music and we started doing this, that, and the other. We evolved into like drag shows and burlesque and, uh, you know, Chippendales wannabes and stuff like that. And, and we had a v big variety, but with my performing and promoting and everything else, uh, running a bar was not for me. Uh, mm -hmm. we were starting to make money finally, which was great. You know, our crowds were getting a little bit bigger, you know I mean? Some nights smaller, but, um, we were having, I was just realizing we were never going to get to the level of breweries, you know, like for instance, you were, you did, um, a, a show at Guidon, whatever yeah, guide on, yeah. guide on, whatever it's called. And it did very well right? with basically yeah, local amateur, talent. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Five and unders, man. Five right. and unders mostly. Exactly. Yeah. So then you're talking about, and then, you know, uh, off the beaten path, you have this place that serves hard liquor and everything else. There's much more. And we're getting top name comics and people aren't spending five or ten dollars to see it. We just realized that over time, the breweries were where it was going. And that's OK. We, we were making money, but um, it wasn't worth my time. I could be investing my time somewhere else. And sometimes, you know, when you're doing a show until midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and you got to be up the next morning to get set up for a wedding or something. I mean, it was just. It was just getting too much. Right. I felt myself aging, felt myself. My attitude was definitely shitty. Um, 
And then, of course, this Abbeville thing came around. Uh, yeah, that seems like a just gift from the gods, man. Okay, so there's crazy story with that. But, but yeah, when that all came around, we decided to close the artism just because it was just not enough money for us when I could be pouring my heart into something else and spending more time with my kids and everything else. So that was a gift from the gods. I mean, you know, we Pam Stone and I did a show with Jason King in Greenwood, South Carolina. Some lady came up to me and said, hey, we want you to bring these shows to Abbeville, South Carolina. I was like, where the hell is Abbeville? <laughs> right, exactly. And then we made a deal to do three comedy shows. They killed. Then they had me doing their music shows. They're doing great. Um, then I was doing radio spots, and then they asked me to do a radio show, and now I'm doing a column for their paper. It's just like blown up into this crazy, I mean, people are following everything I'm doing now, and it's just people are coming up and thanking me for bringing it to the town, not feeling like I have to fight people to come watch a show. Isn't that nice? There's no reason Sean Jones, uh, Spanky Brown in the day, Jay Bliss, Sid Davis. I don't care. There's no reason people shouldn't be paying 10 bucks a head to come see these people. Oh, those before. guys are phenomenal. They're, They're so great. Good. Yeah. They're great. You know, um, and yet you have to fight them to come out. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I have a place now that gets, I know the night you came was kind of, we had, it wasn't the biggest crowd we've had, but most nights we're getting 150 plus people there. And it's, um, I'm thankful because I'm finally enjoying what I do. I'm smiling a lot more. I'm sleeping better. I'm letting a lot of the toxic relationships I've had over time go. I have no fear anymore of just saying, we're done. Bye. You know, yeah. you're not helping me in my life. And, uh, because I've had that in the last few years where I've kept in toxic friendships and relationships and, you know, uh, work related stuff that hasn't been beneficial to me that I thought was right. And so, um, now I'm finally getting to be me again, which is great. So 2020 is going to be amazing with the album coming out in the, and I'm going to be starting, uh, in the summer, I think, um, a, uh, a talent management where wow. people can go on our site and say, I want a comedian or I want a musician. And they put in kind of what their budget might be. And it'll give them a list of options that they could book right on the site or, or ask for more information and we can get them dates, prices, everything else. So oh, cool. we're, we're going to start ours in talent agency probably uh, this summer. So there's a lot going on. I'm very pleased about, and you know, it's like, I may be working as hard, but I'm enjoying it finally, you know, you know, um, Joel Pace at uh, the comedies once, or I'm sorry, he's not with the comedies, he books for them, but, uh, with Heffern, um, he, he told me one time, he says, Mike, the trick to this game is hitting singles. Don't always go for home runs. Yeah. And I didn't listen to that. And, uh, I was trying to get these huge shows, and they weren't paying off for me and they were making me miserable and depressed and everything else. And now I'm like hitting singles with smaller names and the right venues and I'm making more money and enjoying myself. A lot. It's Moneyball, dude. It is. It's Moneyball. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. That's a great movie. By yeah. Way. It's a great movie. Yeah. And yeah. like, and it changed baseball, you yeah. know, uh, now, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder what that approach will do as far as changing comedy. Like, um, 
if, if everybody starts doing that, one of the things that I was thinking about early in our conversation was if people are going, if people would rather see amateur comics for free, right. Then pay 10 bucks to see a road dog comic, which a road dog for anybody who doesn't know is usually someone who's been at it for 10 to 20 years and they, they live on the road. They're just, yep. you know, they do three weekends a month typically. And, and they're just always driving somewhere and performing and, uh, and the, and they can play any crowd. They almost never bomb. They've right. got an act. They've got an hour. Typically that's usually the same hour, but they've honed it. And it does really well in front of almost any kind of crowd. And it's not necessarily vanilla humor, but it's just they figured out how to make every different kind of person laugh. And that's right. what they do. So um, so then there's that level. And then there's, you know, then there's sort of the 400-person crowd and there's a 2,500-person theater crowd. And then there's the stadium guys. You know, there's only a few stadium guys. But, uh, you know, I, I just think it's interesting to think like, there's pretty good amateur level comedy now. Like people can get a pretty good show for free. Right. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, there, I feel like, but would you see that same show for 10 bucks if it was, you had to pay it? Well, that's interesting. So like at the orange peel on Thursday, they're doing, it's being co called the best of Asheville show, but it wasn't supposed to be the best of Asheville. Initially it was supposed to be at a different venue and it was going to be like, Asheville's old and new. Like it was like the top older comics, meaning, meaning they've been around for a while. And then some of the middle comics and some of the newer comics, that show is going to be 10 bucks a person. And we'll see how they do like, because now people are paying 10 bucks to see the same show, sort of the same talent, same people, not the same show that they see every week at, you know, even the night before the, like tonight, all those people will be playing, at the one stop at the open mic, you know, and they're not getting paid and no one's paying to see them. And, uh, and then tomorrow they'll be playing at the orange peel. They'll be doing, I guess, 10 minutes each instead of, you know, five. Um, and they'll be doing full sets and, and people are going to pay to see that show. Right. So I don't know. I think everybody's trying different things. I mean, look at all the things you've got going on, right? I mean, you're booking shows in Abbeville, you're writing an article, you got a radio show, you're recording an album. You were working on a book at one point, right? Are you still working on that book? So, yeah. I mean, um, My Demons Come Out on Stage yeah. was about being in the entertainment business while uh, suffering through depression and PTSD because I think in the recent years, it's become even more clear of how we see people out and about. Right. And yet or even like whether it's Robin Williams or somebody like that, that we don't realize is suffering so bad. And it's about how I have to put on a smile when I'm in front of people, right. but behind the closed doors and when the curtain comes down, it's just a different person. Yeah. And you know, it's very hard to live with sometimes, you know, it's, uh, but, uh, so I've stopped writing it because actually it was depressing the shit out of me. Yeah. It was like one of those things I started writing kind of as a dark comedy. And I realized it wasn't becoming that it was becoming kind of a rant, which I told you I'm very much against. Mm. And so, um, and I don't want it to be an, uh, a fuck you to the world joke uh, or joke book. It's not that it's things that are very personal to me. And I just don't. Plus there are people that are involved that I don't want to call out 
I don't want it to be a call out. I hate when people like post a meme that's directed at one fucking person right. that they feel like they have to put this as some kind of suggestive crap. So that's why I stopped writing the book. Well, I'll write it when the time's right. Yeah. I love the title. So I think it's a great, maybe you'll have a different perspective on it when you come back to well, it. Well, that's it. Yeah. I think if I, if I, I'm going to do what I'm doing for a year and see where I am with it, because then I can actually say there is a light and these are the mistakes I made whether it's friendships, whether it's work related, whatever. And this is what's come out of it, what I've learned. Because what I was doing is I was writing a book on what I've learned at my worst time. Right. Instead of writing it of what could happen. Is there a, a an happily ever after at the end of this book? Or is it life sucks, we should all die tomorrow. You know, I don't want it to be that book. But I want to see now that I'm actually happy with what's going on in my career, my life if that's going to be where it goes. So, I know. It's crazy. This is my life, you know. It's like one day you deal with depression, one day you deal with the absolute highs. Okay, that's it. We did it. That's amazing. It was a long one. I know it was a long one. And I'm sorry, but I hope it was worth it. I just, I really loved this conversation with Mike. I really had a good time talking to him. We talked for almost three hours and I tried to cut this podcast down a little bit for you, but it's a pretty long one. So anyway, I appreciate you tuning in. As always, thank you, Mike, for taking the time to sit down with me. We've been wanting to do it for a long time, and I'm glad we finally got to. You're a good dude, and much continued success. It seems like things are going amazing for you, and I'm happy to be a part of it. And even if I can't be a part of it, I'm happy it's happening. So... All my love to you, Mike, and all my love to you guys for listening and being such loyal supporters of Learning to Fail. Mom, thank you. I know you're out there. I hope you made it through the whole thing. I hope I didn't say anything that made you too uncomfortable. I probably did. There were some tough things in this one, but you raised a good son. Okay? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Like, subscribe, review, support, share, donate. You know what to do. LearningToFail.com. Just tell everyone how much you enjoyed this episode and hopefully you've listened to all the other episodes up until now. I appreciate it. I welcome your thoughts. I welcome your emails. I welcome your feedback. If you have something positive to say, tell the world. If you have something negative to say, just tell me. I promise I will respond. I will think about it and I will send you a non-violent communication response. All right. Thank you as always to my wonderful producer, Bruce Sales. I could not and would not want to do this without you. So thank you, Bruce, and thanks, everyone, and we will see you next time.